um, or at least six or seven months or eight months to grow all the way back. And then by that time, when we when we're done spring training and, and we're you know starting to blow outfits out again and, and uh, we get horses back into running shape, um, you know towards Grand Prairie, the mane's grown long enough, and then we don't have to uh, you know cut it during the season or maintain it. So um, it's just something that Grandpa uh, has always done, and uh, yeah, so so uh, naturally me and Dad do it every year, and we do it at the same time. We. We, uh, you know, trim their feet, we cut their manes, and we worm them, and, and then we kick them out. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's all that is. There's not much to it. It's just kind of a, a maintenance thing. Otherwise, the horse's manes get too long and, and, and kind of long. That's uh, really interesting, and it was a good question that someone brought up when we posted the picture. Um, now, besides Baby, how many other horses did you get? Um, I got seven out of Iowa. So we, what happened is we went down. And they got us back into the races there uh, at the Clay County Fair. Now, I think they advertise it as the biggest county fair um, in North America or something. The place is actually pretty big. Like, they had they had crowds, I don't know, about 6,000 people. So, um, it's definitely, you know, the same size as, you know, an average WPCA show, I'd say for sure. Um, so, the crowds were big. And then we actually went in. Uh, and, and did the chuck wagon race with the guys. I was doing an outride, and then uh, me and Dad got talking about it. He kind of talked me out of it, said, I don't know if it's a good idea, travel insurance, that type of thing. So I didn't, have, didn't, didn't end up outriding. But what I did do was ride in the wagon with the guys. Um, I did it with uh, Bo Woodall and Tyler Dutton. And um, we, uh, we would race around the track. You know, in the WPCA or the WCA, um, you know, there's a helper in the wagon that'll jump out just before the races start. On their association, the helper doesn't jump out. So I was that helper, and, uh, yeah, we went around the track. So, you know, that kind of gave me the opportunity to watch the horses and how they were working and stuff like that. And, uh, and you know, I, I got to, you know, hold the line and drive a little bit before and after and that type of thing. And then it kind of gave me a feel for for what the horses were because the whole purpose of the trip was to go down and that we were going to buy some of these horses and, and then we're going to take them back uh you know race them on now i guess the wca and my dad's going to race some on the wpca and uh yeah we're going to see you know kind of what caliber of horses they are that's interesting that the helper doesn't have to get out there yeah it was it, there was like so many different things like you know, they threw a stove in, but the stove was more like a keg. And then it had, like, a smoke bomb in it, too, so it actually smoked. So it's actually quite a bit more traditional. Um, the wagons were way, way higher. Um, they didn't really have seats. Um, they, the biggest thing to me was that um, they didn't really drive, like, you know, our style of driving. Um, like, I say ours in Canada, you know, most people drive the same way. It's easier Usually either, like, you know, a guy will, will drive like a pony driver, um, you know, leaning forward, standing up. That's, that's more or less how they drove, but they would set their lines differently, I'd say. Um, and there was only six wagons. They used to have eight. They lost two. So there was only six wagons, and they, the wagons would run twice a day. Um, so, you know, that was, that was some of the, the differences. They have four outriders. Um, they get on different. They get on with two hands on the horns. Um, one guy will hold three horses. One guy 
uh, throws to 10 tags in the back. You know, for those of you that are familiar with what 10 tags are, that's something that uh, the WPCA in Calgary have now got rid of, but, but used to be there. And then, obviously, the one outrider throws a stole, and then one outrider is holding the lead team. And, uh, yeah, they, they kind of do a warm-up just before the race. And stuff. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you can find on YouTube of them, of the Iowa truck wagon races. But, uh, yeah, there was a few different things. But the one thing that did stand out to me was that, you know, when we got back there in the barn, and uh, it was, like, the same thing. Like, it was it was the same truck wagon atmosphere, you know. Like, everyone was friends, and, and uh, you know, they were um, looking after the horses and that type of thing. And, and there's, you know lots of people around and, and uh it really was uh it really was you know kind of funny to me that that you know we could be so far apart the two associations not have you know any contact within the last you know however many years and uh and uh you know just because we're doing the same sport uh it was it was quite similar in that sense so um that was that was really neat for us me and my dad had a and my mom had a good time there uh you know watching those guys for sure that's really cool. And getting the horses up here, what is that process like? Well, once we bought them, um, I bought, like I said, I bought eight total, including Baby out of Winnipeg. And then I bought, or Dad, sorry, bought um, 10, I believe. So um, we had about 18 horses, which was two trailer loads uh, for us. Um, so we purchased them. Then as soon as we purchased them, we had to pull blood and send blood to the vet and then you got to get some paperwork done to make sure um you know when you're crossing the border the border agents know who the horses are um you know who they belong to bills of sale how much you paid that type of thing and uh that that all paperwork you know took about a week um and then so yeah we laid up in a little town uh, i just forget where it was um we we've seen quite a few little towns there so um, we laid up there with the horse trailer and uh, waited till the paperwork was done. And when the paperwork was done, we went to uh, Tanner um, Wagner's house. And then um, we picked up the uh, first load of horses, headed to Winnipeg. Um, I had a guy there that uh, let us stay and, and turn the horses out overnight. Or actually in box stalls, sorry. We kept them in box stalls. And then, uh, yeah, we, we got up at 4 a.m. the next morning and uh, headed to Calgary and then left them there and then um, went to Grand Prairie and uh, grabbed the horse trailer and came back to Calgary and brought them home. And that was about it. It was just, uh, it was actually, it's quite a process to get them across the border, but um, I don't know, I think we'll do it again next year just because uh, the selection in the state is so much more. And uh, there's just not many tracks in Canada, especially high-quality tracks. Um, so, uh, I think we'll be doing that process, uh, quite a bit more in the future. Perfect. Well, uh, I guess we kind of went over everything we wanted to go over there and, uh, people don't really want to listen to us right now. They want to listen to Kurt. So what do you say we head over there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it was good to have Kurt on and, uh, we talked for quite a while and, uh, yeah, so, uh, I'm excited. Uh, I got asked questions I wanted to ask, so I can't wait for you guys to hear it. I think it was pretty cool to have her uh, talk to us like that. Um, you know, he's pretty open. He's not, he didn't really hold much back. Um, but the beauty about it, that's just the kind of guy Kurt is. Um, he's not about to, uh, uh, he'll tell you like it is. Um, that's for sure. So uh, you guys are, you guys are getting this exact same conversation that, uh, you know, me and Kurt would have 
uh, if it was just me and him in his barn or uh, if we're talking in front of, uh, you know, 5,000 people. So, uh, um, yeah, it was good to, good to talk to him and uh, got some really good insight, that's for sure. And we're on the phone with Kurt Benzmiller. How are you doing today, Kurt? I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for doing this, Kurt. Um, I want to get, like, right to it. What are you feeding? What am I feeding? Yeah. Off like season or all season? Just like, I don't like what kind of rocket fuel? <laughs> nothing, uh, nothing, anything crazy, man. Like, I, uh, I kind of just hit the right feeding program with the right training, and I think it just kind of pays off year after year. Uh, so far, anyway. I mean, I just critique buddies a little bit, but with the help of the guys at Master Feeds, and I mean, it's not anything that we mix ourselves. It's like as simple as sweet feed, podium, beet pulp, some salt, and canola oil. Like I don't have much of a much of a mastermind feed as people right. like to think. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I've actually heard that. Like, like some people are more um, simple than others, and, and just believe that like feeding too much of that, you know, like you can get crazy with supplements. And and uh, a lot of guys like they're more old school i'd assume you're the same way and like my grandpa was always the same way like you know feed less of that stuff just feed feed higher quality of of what you're feeding absolutely i make sure i get better hay especially during the spring and summer um like stuff that's like costs a little bit more and it's same with my oats i go to st paul municipal seed cleaning plant so instead of buying the oats at i don't know 285 or I guess it's up to three dollars a bushel now. I, I buy it for three eighty from them, and they give me a deal on it. It's triple cleaned, and they get way more out of it. And it takes less feed to do it. Right, right. Um, you were uh, you were just horse shopping in uh, in Nebraska, is that right? Yeah, I went to uh, Columbus, Nebraska, for a week, and then I went over to uh, Des Moines and Iowa there for a week as well at Prairie Meadows. Oh, okay. How many did you get out of there? Uh, Sixteen. Oh, 16. Is that is that like high for you, or is that normal, or like what do you look for when you're when you're doing that part of the season? Because I know a lot of guys like you know some guys will go buy three or four really expensive horses and they'll try and get you know ones with nice farm. They might spend you know five ten thousand dollars a horse, maybe more. Uh, some guys you know might spend a lot more. There's a few you know uh, certain guys just like that, but. Um, and then some guys, you know, kind of go and just fill the trailer and, and take, uh, just take the ones that they like. So how, how do you kind of fit into that spectrum? Well, I mean, we were shorter a week this year at, at Columbus. That's why it was only a week uh, right. because of uh, Century Downs. So I missed the second last weekend there. But, I mean, I, I kind of have the same scenario every year. I, I try to buy uh, a little cheaper horse or maybe I won't get them at the age of them other guys that you're buying them. Like you, you mentioned, they, they pay a lot more money, but most of them horses, same horses in two more years or three more years would be back into my price range anyway. Right. So I, I like to buy in bulk. And, and the two reasons I like it is because I have a better shot of finding a natural horse than trying to make a horse. Yeah. And then the second reason, and I tried it a few years ago, especially when dad retired, um, or just before he retired, sorry, to to buy less and just buy, you know, same kind of thing, a little better quality of horse. But it really affected my driving as well because in the springtime, instead of um, hooking three to six outfits a day, I'm I'm hooking one, you know, or and you don't hook your old boys as much, or at least I don't. So right. if you sit around and don't drive, and I'm sure you've seen in the spring and in the summertime when there's 
seven outfits in the morning, especially early on in the spring, uh, throughout 36 drivers, three or four are mine. I mean, I, two years ago in Strathmore, six outfits went out, and I was sitting first in a show, first in the world, and one Calgary and had a really successful start of the year. Yeah. And I'm I'm out there still breaking or driving new ones and still trying to keep, you know, ahead of the game. So I, I think personally for me it helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting because, like, just as me, like, I, I don't know what I've been driving for, like, three, four years, but, like, that's something, like, I'm changing next year for sure. And I, that's something that, you know, when I, when I first come into it, like, all I did, I packed, I don't know, I packed 25 driving horses or 20-something driving horses, and then I'd get up and every single morning I'd drive one or two outfits. There's horses I packed, drove every morning all year, and they never seen a race. So that's interesting. Like, that's, that's really, like, something for me to hear, you know, from you, like, world champ, Calgary champ, and, uh, and that, like, more driving helps you, you know, stay on top of your game. Well, I think a guy puts too much time in the spring and then, and I mean, even in the winter, really looking after these horses. And then yeah. for you to go out and not be on your game, I mean, no athlete in any sport is always on their game and the horses as well. But when you're not driving and staying sharp, I think when you're just acting on hope or that the horses are going to do it right for you, then I think you run into more trouble. So. Well, I'm sure I'm sure Buddy was the same way, but Kelly always said like when they were when they were young and 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 starting out and, and chuck wagon racing, they said they had to drive. And I know you guys still train like this, but they said they had to drive you know 12 outfits a day, and so each guy would drive four outfits. So by the time that they did that for 10 years and and more you know newer newer crop of guys started in, well, they already had a whole you know careers worth of driving under their belt in 10 years just because of the way that they they spring train and we've got we've glossed over that now a couple times so uh might as well just get into it like you guys um strictly drive when you spring train or do you truck train as well like i know some guys you know they chase or they i I know guys that, that that only truck train for uh right up until two weeks out of you know stompede and then they start blowing out their horses like how do you guys go about that well, my new horses, obviously, they got to be driven or driven, right. sorry. And then the, anything that was from this year that didn't get into a bunch of races or wasn't on the main string, they'll uh, they'll also start going towards the end of April, start of May kind of deal. Um, but my anything that's been on my main outfit uh, from last year or beyond that, I won't touch. Like they won't see a harness until that long weekend, and they usually get one, depending on weather, one to two blows maybe here at home. And then they get, uh, I go up early to Grand Prairie, not crazy early, just the week before. And yeah. they'll get two two blows there, and then that's it. They don't get touched unless we race. So that's and, why the driving in the spring affects you so much, because you won't even touch your new horses uh, with the harness until that weekend. So the the old boys, new, yeah. Yeah, yeah for you sure. need the new ones. That makes more sense. How many, how many horses do you train and, and pack each year? Well, uh, last year, I mean, Josh Rennick is, uh, I've been helping him out the last two years. Yeah. Uh, so this would be year three. Um, and we had 52 head of thoroughbreds last year we were training because he, wow. uh, he don't have any bulk or any horses yet. I mean, he's just starting to get a couple horses for a herd, right? Yeah. Um, you know, yourself, it's hard to, when you first start out well, to have help. It's impossible, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, and this year with these 16 new ones and what I've uh, sold to other drivers, um, I, th- I think we're at 60... 63 or something. I haven't even got them all counted. Right. I got them scattered all over uh, the countryside here. 
or neighbors and stuff that have pasture and whatever that just needs to get eaten down. So there's some in Marlene, some just a couple miles away and kind of scattered everywhere. So the longer we can stand there from feeding hay, the better off we'll be. Do you, do you find like it's a headache to have, you know, too many over that, like say like 50 to 60 threshold or are you kind of more the merrier or do you just try and keep it down to that level for cost wise or, or like, what's your, what's your take on that? Cause like we've had times where we've, we've had, you know, over a hundred horses in the pasture and then it gets to like spring training and you can't even like focus on, on the ones you want to be focusing on because there's so much other, there's only so many hours a day in daylight and, and, and whatever. So like, do you try and stick around that, that 60 horse range or? Well, honestly, this is the first time I've ever been at it. Like personally, um, with when it was Dad and Chance and David and all of us training, I think we were at Tommy's that year. I think Buddy said we had 165 and 170 horses, which sounds like a lot. Yeah. But I mean, when there's four of you going, but then you need five exercise trucks and almost yeah. two hired men each because, like you said, there's hooking doesn't go any faster. Yeah, <laughs> it ju- it just doesn't. You you can't make it go faster. When, especially when you're breaking because you're not just going well we don't just go out and blow them and bring them back so i mean when we yeah. actually race you do less with them there than you would in the spring when you're breaking because um, yeah. you just gallop along so you can go a little further and you make a few more turns in the field or whatever but uh yeah they you just there's not enough hours in the day to get them all done and so we'll see about this last year uh, at that 52 i it wasn't that big a deal um but i make sure that josh has his own hired person and and himself because there's no way that we could be doing Do my all mine and then try to help out with his and then come back to mine. So, and at the end of the day, he knows it. And I mean, it was the deal we made at the start. I have to still support my family. So I look after mine is obviously priority. And then his is what we get in. I mean, everything still gets trained every day, but just maybe we'll truck more his when he, he should be driving more. I think that that's hurt him a little bit over the first two years is that, as a new guy, and I mean, you, you just were, they, you can't just turn them loose with horses. So you try to get them older boys, but you don't want them to be driven every day because then they won't have the stamina down the line. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, you kind of got to take the bad with the good, like when you're starting out, because I, like I'm in the same position, like I had all these, you know, all these horses when I was, when I started, um, you know, when I was 16 or, or 17 or whatever, I had all kinds of horses and half the horses are, are, uh, well, they're not in my barn anymore. And that was my own mistake. Cause I didn't pay for them. Right. Like that's just, and that's kind of what it is. Like when you're starting out, because the, the ch- uh, you know, chuck wagon racing is a sport where it's not like, I always say, it's not like hockey where you can go buy a hockey stick and, and, you know, shoot a puck around or a ball around or whatever you need a huge investment to start up. And, and it's literally next to impossible to just do it um, all by your lonesome. So you need somebody's help to start out and, and, uh, I don't think guys can do it for free or, or, uh, you know, there's lots of guys and I'm sure you're one of them that, that want to help and, and grow the sport. And, uh, that's obviously a huge motivation to, you know, start a new guy out, but, um, yeah, you can't, you can't do it for free. And it's, it, it is huge. It is hugely taxing. I, I could definitely understand that. Yeah. The first few years, it's not as big a deal, but then as years go on, it starts to eat away at you. Yeah. Because the sure. herd keeps getting bigger and I'm the one that kind of, you know, what's the bill right now i mean he long term as long as he stays in it he's the whole point is to like everybody get him to calgary and then start using some of that money and paying stuff back and and making it work out i mean he works lots and he's got a good job so that helps him 
Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I, I want uh, the sport to grow, and if it means helping, you know, blowing a little bit of my money to make another guy come in, and, and like I said, who who knows? Like it's he he was an outrider for a few years and wanted to make the jump up to be a driver, and it was a perfect year because there was no runoff. So when he said go, he he was allowed to come right in, and it didn't have that extra cost that most people that go to runoff have to endure because you don't know if you're going to make it. Yeah, well, it's a, it's the same. Yeah, like you said, it's the same thing. Like he, as soon as he makes Calgary, then he's laughing and struggles. <laughs> the struggle is getting into Calgary and stuff. But he's he's uh, he's been well looked after with uh, with you standing behind him. Um, you seem to have, and I, I know I, I know you, so I know I'm allowed to say this, but you seem to have a lesser year than normal. Like you know, obviously the last day out of the last four out of five years, what did you win Calgary four times? And obviously you didn't get there this year. You were close. You had, you know, ten, without the the. Uh, I, I wasn't in Calgary, so forgive me. I was racing in the in the westerns, but you had you had one bad night or something. But it just seemed like like um, early on in Medicine Hat, I was trying to keep up with it, or or was it the show before? I I just forget. Anyways, it seemed like you had a little bit more troubles. And was there was there a reason to that? Like were you missing some key horses, or um, did did something change, or? Well, I, I lost, like, the not lost. I just lost from the lineup for this year. My good right. left leader, at Gratitat, who was, like, the horse of the year, and, and, and last year would have been his fourth year. So, I mean, he's really starting to come on. And he found her in the back left foot, and they can't tell me why. And there's, like, a couple things you can do, and one's cut that muscle or whatever so that he can, uh, or maybe it's a tendon, I'm not sure. But they cut it, and then he can just walk around the field, but he can't ever run, and you know, without a bad limb. The other right. thing uh, is to put him down because he's uncomfortable. And then, lucky enough, uh, Delaney's had uh, a veterinarian come in. Well, he's a veterinarian uh, shoer or something, so he's all about the feet. Yeah. And he, he was coming in the week after, so they actually stood him up. So changed the elevation so much on his foot for that coffin, or for that bone to change. And they said he'll either lose the foot because of circulation or he'll start to... Uh, or it'll start to change direction. And because of the horse, I said, oh, let's try it. And I, I, I honestly just got the horse back. Oh, it hasn't been a week yet. I don't think he's been home, and that's since December. Oh, so wow. I, I lost my good left leader, and then the right leader just was, he had a it's kind of a suspensory, so we really had to milk him through to see, uh, which we ended up just turning them out in the end anyway, but he spent basically the whole summer at the spa. And when yeah. you lose your one, two, like the... Probably, like, I mean, I mean, most drivers will say it, but it'd be tough to argue that they're probably not the best lead team on the grounds the last few years. Um, yeah. The one, the right leader, that Hitchcock, he hasn't been. I haven't won a Calgary without him on. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. And this year he missed. He got to go two days, um, and then because we were too far out of it, I stopped using him, which we almost, like you said, climbed back. And that year that he uh, he he was given that he was injured that year that I missed uh, whatever three years ago. But every other year that he's been on, as crazy as as much of a pain the buddy is, he um, he he's just a freak in nature. So you're you're fast with him on, right? So right. when you lose horses like that, so off that main outfit, I only had the one horse come back because the one horse has another horse has a bad back and he's always had it. Big left wheeler, he's a real nice horse. But so I mean, I lost the three of the four main ones, and then the right leader, the hired man, accidentally walked him into a pipe off my three four barrel outfit. So I never got him back till Medicine Hat. So it was just right. a lot of them horses I was banking on just coming back. It was going to be one of them years because they're all fairly young. 
uh, with the exception of Hitchcock, that's 13. Everybody else on them main output that's been winning is uh, is like under 10. Yeah. So they're right. all just starting to get into their prime or like where they're really rolling. And yeah, so then I had to scramble and I made a couple of judgment calls that were the wrong calls. But it mean, happens. Yeah, but they were my fault. Like, I mean, yeah. I didn't change anything up for the last half. Uh, I had an outrider pony in the left leader that was taking my good horse's spot. And they let him go a minute and a half, and it chopped off half his tongue. Um, like oh, it just no freak way. things like that. So then, yeah. So then now I have a brand new horse in, and he cracked a bone in his leg out there in a pen in a gopher hole. Yeah. So then he went to rehab. So I lost the same spot uh, four times. <laughs> so just, I mean? just yeah, like just, <laughs> just one of those years. Yeah, I, I could. I mean, I haven't really obviously had that to that extent, but I can sympathize like when, when one thing falls apart, it's tough for, it's tough for most guys. And I'm talking like out of the top five in the world right now, obviously you're one of them. It's tough for any one of those top five guys to replace one of their best horses, let alone like four or five or six or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like not many people have deep enough barns to, to, you know, um, replenish that outfit when when that one key horse you know drops yeah like when it when it kept going and then the next key one and you know when you have injuries and they come back you know and yeah, it's yeah pretty yeah. minor and it doesn't happen often but it's still going to happen i mean and, and i've had more um from from outside the actual wagon race and more from in pens or a hired man not paying attention or you know like just freak things yeah it just it's just uh when it's always the same position that makes it way harder because you don't usually bring 10 left leaders and one right leader and one right wheeler. So when it's the same spot, I mean, the right leader I used all year to get me through, I actually tried to sell to you a couple of years ago because yeah. I hadn't used him. And then, yeah. thank God, I didn't. Or you I didn't wish take I bought him. that horse. I, I wish so bad <laughs> that I bought that horse. I could have, you know what, and I spent, I, spent uh, I, I won't say, like, I spent the same amount of money that I was, you know, wanted to buy that horse for on I don't know how many others. I, and I spent it probably twice over, and I don't think any of them were as good as probably what I would have got for you. So I, I kick myself every day. But you know what? I did get to watch you, you know, win the world. And, I, I you know, I do I – like, I, I like to watch the, the sport and how it's evolving, and you're doing – you know, you're doing like big things and, and you're, you're doing things that haven't been done for a long time. So it's, it's, it's fun to watch. So that's what I get out of it anyways. No, that, uh, that's cool. I mean, when they, uh, when they ask you what you're trying to do or accomplish, and I, I'm hoping that the sport grows or people see me doing it a certain way. And even if it's a lot more old school towards the way my dad did it and probably your grandpa and them, um, right when they start throwing their names into the hat, like before it was just, Oh, you won. That's cool. And then you won again. And that's awesome. But like this year with the world tying George Norman as being like one of the only four people ever to win three in a row. Like that's not something that you can take. Like, I don't take it lightly. Like, I think it's a real, like it's a real feather in my hat, you know, so to speak, because it's a, it's a big deal. You like George was so elite in such a short time. Right. You know, so you're just, you, when your name starts bouncing around with guys like that, like your grandpa's another one, um, I mean, I'm a long ways away from him, but I still got 30 years left. So, I mean, with a lot of luck, I'll be close at the end of it all. But I was going to ask you that too. Like, like, um, like, yeah, what do you make of that? Like, what do you make of, you know, you're literally taking down like legends of the sport 
uh, like you're taking down their records. I mean, you've like uh, you've won so much in such a short little you know amount of time, and it, it obviously you haven't come out of uh, nowhere, but for the average fan, you know, it seems like you have, I mean, you've been driving probably since you could, you were able to, to climb up on the seat, but, uh, you know, you're taking down all these guys. Um, you're just surpassing them. And, and, you know, in the, in the, I mean, obviously there's no record. Well, I guess there's a record book, but there's no, there's no, you know, set standing of who is the greatest of all time. Everybody's got ideas, but you're now obviously, and I don't think many people could deny this. You're up there. Like what, like what top five, top three. I mean, you've won more <laughs> Calgary's than most people. Uh, you know, some guys have, are considered great and they've only won it once or whatever. You won it, what, three, four, four times, yeah. four times now. And, and how many times you won the world? This makes four. I, I met. Yeah. So four and four. So that's more than, like, I can't pick anybody off the top of my head. There was um, a Cosgrave, then there was Kelly, and there's, you know, Huey Sinclair won three times. I mean, I'm, I'm horrible with this. But so, anyways, this gets me back to my question. Like, and I guess you kind of answered it. Like, you, that, you take that, you know, pretty, pretty deeply, pretty personally, that you're really cementing yourself at top of these guys. Like, you know, it means something big to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did an interview at the end of the year, and they asked you like, what what drives me, and and the the records is what drives you. I mean, when I first started driving, it was all maybe maybe one day I'll get there, and then while well, the first time I made the dash was against your grandpa, he was on one, Reg was on two, I was on three, and I can't even remember who was on four, um, but I I barreled out beside him, pulled, did a good job, pulled, and then your grandpa ran away from me and, and ran away from me very easily. And that's when I realized it wasn't enough just to get there. You know what I mean? Right. And, yeah, yeah, and I, sure. and then it was like, Holy man, like I got to actually step up a lot. And there's lots of guys in the dash, but very few ever win the dash that don't, that like didn't deserve to be there. Like that very yeah. rarely happened. And right. with Calgary being so long, a lot of them guys are weaned out or the seventh heat faster the last day or the ninth day or the 10th or the ninth heat is. That that changes everything, but when the dash actually happens, very rarely is is the not the best outfit shakeout to still be number one. I mean, without right. penalties and stuff like that, that that'll happen. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of how it started, and then I realized I had to get better, and and then I realized, holy man, like I can get going, and I I can remember it plain as day. I was warming up around the barns, and Dad's in the wagon with me, of course, and. And I was going just uh, by the, around by the old greasy spoon used to be over in the far corner. Yeah. And and I told Buddy, I was like, holy man, I'm excited. This is and not a nervous. It's <laughs> like I was kind of fired up, like, you know, scoring an overtime winner, fired up, and I haven't even raced yet. And he, and he's like, you know, he kind of just tapped me on the back, and he's like, finally, you caught it. That's what you needed to catch. Yeah. And I was, you know, and I thought, oh, you know, okay, that's cool. You know, you could give me a good boost. And then, yeah, we had one mediocre year the next year where we were in the top eight but didn't do much. And then and then we've kind of snowballed since then and always hung around. But, no doubt. And then, then now the next step is to try to go after records. And some are nearly impossible to get. But I don't know. I'm just – I'm kind of – Like know. you said, you got 30 years. Like, I mean, I hear Grandpa talk all the time. Like, I mean, I just had dinner with him in the house. And, and uh, you got you got 30 years like last or 20 years or whatever it is. I, you know, I don't know how, how nobody knows how the health's going to shake out, you know, in the greater scheme of things, but, 
you got time. Like you got a cushion, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I think we looked it up. I sorry, not we. I looked it up last year because we were watching uh, a video and it was on the Stampede. And I think Tom Glass. Somebody said about me winning. Oh, anyway, it was it was Billy, and they said your your grandpa was in the box or whatever, you know, and he's the man that did it uh, this many times or whatever. So that and Tom says, well, he'll never catch you or something like that, and then. I thought, yeah, you know, because that's never even really crossed my mind until they started talking about it. So then I looked it up, and I'm only – if I could have won this year, I would have won the same amount as your grandpa in this, in less years of driving, or like in the, however it worked out, but at the same age or by the same time. So then I thought, holy oh. man, I'm not – it's not that crazy. You know, if you have a few bad years, which we all will, or even if we're not quite at the top but we're hanging around or whatever, and then you get a couple – since where you do them two or three years where you've you got them good outfits, you know, we have a small outside shot. And the other thing that's helping me is that your grandpa would have done it more like even when my dad did it, there was no picking your barrel in the last day. Because mm-hmm. to think of how many trucks your grandpa won, I don't, like my dad, I think he won the truck in 94, 95, missed 96, and then won 97, but drew the outside barrel every time, like the three and four, and never like I think the closest he got was second but if he could have did what I did and said okay I'll take barrel one exactly yeah he'd probably have three more already yeah but they they do kind of like they will kind of try and change it like grandpa always said that happened to him like they got to pick their barrels or something and then all of a sudden um he w- they felt he was winning too much or I mean that's what I've heard anyways yeah I don't know I wasn't there so I, I can't speak officially but um and then they would change it so you know that might that might be coming down the pipe I think it always tends to even out you know like like people say well it's not as competitive or it is more competitive now than it's ever been or whatever i just i you know i think it always um is going to even out if you're if you're good enough to win uh four calories and four worlds like there's nobody can ever take that away um from you or or should even you know even try or it's just the guys are going to struggle with it are the guys that are always uh, have an excuse. And I was one of them guys forever where that's why I didn't win was because that guy got the break or he was right after the harrow or this guy moved me over and that guy got a free wheel. And, and I was seriously that guy and I did nothing but whine about how that's why he won. And that's why I didn't. And then at the end of the day, it was my training, my driving, my feeding, my horses, you know, because that's all you can control. But if you worry about all the other 35 guys the whole time, I think it really hinders you, and there's a lot of guys like that. And that'll work the same as this, uh, like you said, changing the heats. I mean, that's why George stopped winning for a while, is because he'd be 300 points ahead of them, and they only went to Strathmore back then by the end of the year. You know, we're going for a month after that, and they made it a dash because they couldn't catch him any other way. So just one day, and they, and they actually tried to do that with the century down thing, and yeah. I, I'm not saying that was for, for uh, to punish me, but they were doing that oh, this wow. year where they wanted the top 12 uh, guys to have a shot at the world. Yeah, yeah, it's, and that's that's crazy. Like, I mean, I I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, it's and for people that don't know how this works, it's, you know, we make decisions. Um, I say we because I used to be on the WPCA, obviously not uh, this next year as of now, but um, they make decisions uh, as a board. Um, committee it, it goes through a, a chain of people and it's and it's built up of drivers so you vote things in you vote things out and one thing that was trying to be voted in um, was that uh, the the 
top 12 drivers in the world have a chance to win the world at Century Down. So if you were in that top 12, not only could you win the horse trailer and, and uh, the money, you could also win the world, which to me is ludicrous because, um, you know, between you and 12th spot, there is a big, big difference. Between you and second spot, third spot, um, maybe not as much of a difference. Some years, like a huge difference, but um, that, that's just crazy. I mean, I, I don't know why. I don't even know how that would come about, but um, well, kind of like a handicapping thing where they just start to uh, to allow everybody to have a shot at something. But I mean, realist. My argument was is that we all have a shot when we leave, and we all go through our ups and downs. And and the guy that runs whatever it is, forty five days, deserves to win something, not the guy that gets hot for one night. Oh, and literally, exactly. the way it's set up is you could, I could win, I could be first every day at every show all year including Century Downs, and on the last day be second. Yeah. And then not win, win, and not win a thing. Not win it. Yeah. Well, the CCCA is kind of like that, which I don't ever agree. Like, if I, if I see their guy as a – like, to me over there, I see the champion as the high point. Like, you know, the guy who, who has the toughest season and, and, and competes the best over the course of the season. Like, to me, that's the, that's the season champion. But I guess uh, – They, they do a high point, and then they do it. And I agree with you. It's not like Calgary where it's 10 days, so it, it grows out. This is this – is, you're talking 40 days or 45 days or whatever it is. Like, that's too, too, too high of a number for us to not, not – Base it off of a dash. Yeah, not to properly acknowledge that guy. And, I mean, it, yeah, it was me the last few years. But in other years, I, I wouldn't – I mean, you'll still take it if you want it, be in 12th spot. But don't tell me the same – you have the same feeling, like, actually inside. I mean, I know you get the money and you get the trailer. And everybody would say, yeah, if I was 12th, I would still take all this stuff and I'd still be excited. And, of course, you should be. But realistically, anybody watching knows that you just had one heat. And, and this year, the way Century Downs was shaken out, because, I mean, I won five heats in a row there um, and against the best in the world, and we, were, we couldn't outrun anybody in the seventh heat because it was just the way that track uh, got deeper or whatever. Um, and I can only say that now because I outrun them the last day. The same guys that were running three wide on day three, and I run the rail or whatever, come from behind and, and beat the three best in the – association and i was still a second behind and we were like 20th was the fastest we could be right so it was almost yeah. the guys that were all in the seventh heat a 9th 10th 11th 12th guy in the world were going to be the realistically could have been the ones that won the world and not even have anybody in the top eight have a shot at it and we've we've covered that uh, numerous times on the podcast like i like i explain that uh, if people are listening because like what he's saying is that the tracks are slowing down so much that um, if the format were to cater to the top 12 being able to win um, the world, then it wouldn't really be the best guy winning the world uh, just because the tracks slow down so much more. And that's why, well, that's why you guys are in the ninth heat. You guys are the best in the world. You're trying to, it's, a, it's a natural way of evening it out. The best guys go in the top heat. The track gets slower. Almost every single track gets slower um, as the nights go on. But um what uh, hang on here? I'm just scrolling through my questions. I kind of went off on a tangent there with you. But, <laughs> well, Nathan um, gathers his thoughts. I'm jumping in here. Yeah, um, that last, uh, I guess, the world heat at Century, your horse kind of 
I, I don't know exactly what happened, but you had a moment there where you guys kind of had to regroup. Did that cause you any moment of like rethinking or kind of doubting yourself or was it kind of like we've talked to Logan in the past um, when his horse kicked during Calgary where once everything was done you were you were good you knew okay I can do this still yeah no I wasn't uh, actually I never even thought about the race it was deputy is my left feeder he kicked over the tug this is his uh, this would be his fourth year on the wagon uh, or this was his fourth year on the wagon. He kicked the first two times I hooked him at home. I pulled his crouper off. He's never kicked again. So, I mean, yeah, you're you're dialed in. You're hoping you're dialed in. You're getting ready to race. And then, then he does that, and you're like, what just happened? And then so then you deal with it. But I, I never even crossed my mind that after it did, I was like, holy man, I could have lost the world if he would have broke something off the wagon or, or hurt himself or, um, you know, so so – but I mean, Buddy was there, and I have an advantage for most people because I don't know how other people perceive Buddy. Well, I know how most of them do, and some probably don't. But when he's there and around, and he's like getting stuff handled, it's just that much smoother, and and you have just that much more faith. Um, and not to beak anywhere other show, like, but if you go to Calgary or if you go, David was there on a horse this year, so it makes it. I don't know if it's because it's family or I personally know what them guys are like in a in for lack of a better term, a crisis situation. And they always have the horse's best interest and then your best interest. So you kind of, you just trust them better and it just seems to make things smoother. Absolutely. I could, I could totally understand that. Like when I was up on the um, WCA this year in Grand Prairie and uh, this isn't bashing the WCA or whatever. It's a a smaller run, um, you know, operation and, and it's, you know, they're a great club and it's, it's for building younger drivers and, and yada, yada. People know I support the WCA anyways, but I've been on the WPCA my whole life and I had a horse go down, uh, swallowed his tongue or, or whatever. Um, a young horse, uh, like six years old and he went down, um, and, and anybody knows, you know, this drove a wagon or whatever, when a horse swallows his tongue, um, he like <laughs> drops pretty quickly. So anyway, this horse drops and I got, you know, two other new ones on the outfit. It's my, um, second hook. So, you know, I'm short of horses and whatever. And, and, uh, like, I just couldn't believe it. I was baffled. There was three or four people or, you know, five people coming to help me out. And there was, you know, nobody knew what they were doing. And, and, uh, I've been in, I don't know how many wrecks untangling as an outrider or just, I, you know, I try to make a point of it to go out and, and help with every single wreck. Uh, that I that I come across, and uh, it, you're you're 100 right. At least that you know I feel so. It's that much smoother with Buddy uh, there and uh, and uh, helping things because you know that guy. He's, he, how many wrecks has he seen in his day? You know, and I say wrecks, not that not the horses get hurt or anything like that, but you know he's he's untangled a lot of messes and stuff like that, and those types of things just seem to happen. But with that experience there you know consistently i just think that makes it uh so much smarter and, and so much smoother and and uh like you say it really helps with the horse's um best interest well they they just released another study on how horses can can remember your your mood from like the last time they seen you and they can tell who it is by facial expressions and stuff like that and your grandpa's one that always says they can see it they can act, literally feel it down the lines on how you're acting and and my dad's always said, you get too nervous, they're going to be nervous. Like, that's why it always, more often than not, that that other stuff always seems to happen to 
to certain guys, but it's because they feel it down the lines. And, and yeah, it, it would, and you have them guys there just in front already, like calming them, like you said yourself, it, you're, you're calmer, everything just seems to run smoother and things just happen the way they're supposed to happen. And then you, you're not worried that somebody's doing it wrong or, or whatever, right? But all the best interests for the horses and yourself are already at their heart no matter what, so they make sure things are done properly. Right, right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, what do you uh, attribute your success in the last, say, five years versus – you know, the decade before, cause you've been driving for what? 20 some years now. Uh, this, no, I think sorry. this was 20 years. Maybe. Or maybe it was 20 oh, months? this was 20. Okay. Maybe, maybe, so, I think I'm 16, 17. Cause they wouldn't let me, uh, when I started, well, same as now is the runoff was in the fall and I didn't turn 16 until that May. So they wouldn't let me run off at 15 to race when I was 16. So I had to wait till 16. Oh, I see. So my first actual competing season, I would have just turned 17. 17. Right. So what, like, I know you kind of touched on it, and like maybe you changed some things mentally. And, and actually, I, I asked Buddy this, like, you know, what happened one time. And I, I try to talk to Buddy as much as I can because I seem to get a lot of value every time I talk to him. But uh, I asked him one time, I said, well, what's he doing different? He said, it's, it's easy. He just started listening to me. So, is, you know, <laughs> is that true? It's like, um, like what, what changed for you the last five years? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh listening to Buddy and then having Buddy around, he's always been around, but he always had his own as well. Um, right. And then on top of that, I mean, I just started racing and I started started to do a little bit better fairly fast, like not winning nothing, but I was climbing the ladder pretty decent for a young kid. Um, and then, like, it's not a beak towards my brothers, but then Chance come in and David come in, and then all of a sudden Buddy's trying to manage four barns. And right. Then, that's too much and, 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 and his own. And, and that like ultimately affected him quite a bit. Uh, he, he, I guarantee he would have won more if he could have put more of his own time into himself. Yeah. Um, and that's just because he's the old school. So he still was trying to put it in, but he said, you know what it's like when you go all day, you're going to miss little things. Mm-hmm. And, and he was not missing like, anything big where they weren't being fed or anything crazy like that. But he just might've missed picking up on how horses attitudes were as much as he normally was. And then he, he probably didn't get as many new ones in towards the end as he should have, but it was, it wasn't, it was just because he was as competitive, but it was hard for him because he was worn out. Yeah. And, and in any sport, if you're worn out all the time, it's hard to keep, you know, your a game on and it's too bad. I mean, I'm glad he, he did it for us. Um, but it, it, it definitely it definitely caused him not to have as many championships, especially at the end of the year. Because, I mean, I've watched so many people drive, and I mean drive, drive, and from square one and not really buy anybody else's horses and break your own. And the man is, is just, I don't know, in hockey we use the word filthy, and that means good, right? <laughs> He's, uh, he, just, he, he just drove me nuts because you'd, you'd get in the wagon seat, you'd be driving down new horses or old horses, and, you think you're doing not bad or they're kind of straight and everything's yeah. going okay. And you know, he's still kind of giving you crap because he's critiquing you all the time, which is what, that's his job. Yeah. But he's just doing it honestly for your best interest. And I'm not, I don't know, one of the guys that was ever growing up where I needed a ribbon just because I was on the seat or, <laughs> you know, he's so the criticism is what I grew up with. And I, and I agree with totally because it, it helped me to be where I'm at now, but he, he just grabbed them four lines. And I mean, it wouldn't matter if a horse was bucking. I swear he could just take him 
and then they would just be like they'd been together for their whole life, and it was so weird. Really cool to watch, but really aggravating because I, you know, just when you think you're doing good, then he just shows you actually this is what they're really supposed to look like. Um, so he he just I don't know between that and like I said he got he really got to focus on on us was me and Chance by then when he retired, and and that really helped me because now I had in my eyes and, and I mean it's hard to argue that he was one of the better drivers. I mean he he just knows horses and he could take them and then put them in the right spots. So it helped me develop a better eye for it. Right. Yeah. Well, and he, he watches better than like anybody. And I, I seriously, like I'll try and make a point of it. Like I try and talk to everybody I can get my hands on, like anybody who's, um, you know, an old wagon driver or whatever, anybody's got any experience, you know, and I, I, like I, you know, I have grandpa in my corner and I have dad and I have, you know, uncle and I have a lot of guys who want to help, but I'm, I, I honestly just try to get as much of the culture, you know, in me as possible to, to, you know, understand everything. And like literally probably the most helpful guy that, you know, stands from afar or watches that I've had um, has been buddy. Like he just, like seriously i'll go i'll you know he's always there so that's convenient you know he watches a race or whatever he sees a little thing he's not really like paying attention to me or whatever but i just i'll go over and i'll ask him a simple question um you know about like you see how this horse didn't quite and then he'll just seriously in 30 you know not even 30 seconds 15 seconds he'll give me an explanation and they'll just blow my mind like i'll just sit there thinking about it thinking about it thinking about it like there's this one even this year you know, I have all these horses that are, they're runaway horses and I can't hold them. They just seem to get worse and worse. And, uh, they're, they're new. So obviously, you know, they do change, you know, like over the course of their careers and as they get, you know, more into it, they get more aggressive or whatever. But, you know, I've been only the guy that touched these horses. So they get, they develop more and more mouths. And naturally a lot of most mistakes that most guys make is, you know, you bit them up, right? You, you put a stiffer bit in harder bit, harder bit. And, uh, you know, I've got all these, you know, ridiculous shank bits in and stuff, or I think they're ridiculous anyways. Um, I put these tough bits in and, I, and I'm still just running away. Like if I don't keep these horses slowed down as I'm coming into the barrel, they, like I, I pull right through the barrels. I've done it three times and, you know, I, I shouldn't hook them all together, but I do because I want to go fast and like whatever. So I, I asked Buddy, I said, like, what do you guys do? Because I know you guys use, you know, all the same bits or whatever. And, and uh, you know, I keep having all these runaway horses. And I said, don't you guys come across these runaway horses? Like, like what's going on here? And uh, he just looked at me and said, well, maybe it's in the hands, Dayton. I just thought, you're right. Like, it's totally, and I just, you know, just something simple as that. Like, it just, you know, like, it just gives it to you a play, like, it just, just what you needed. Like, and I, you know, I've heard it all before, like, with grandpa and stuff, but it just, he's, he, buddy's like, just so knowledgeable. He just, he can see these things and, like, the way an outfit works and, like, you know, how horses turn and, like, little things, like, how, where their heads are pointed when they're turning and, and uh, just all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, that's, that, that it's cool to hear you talk about him, obviously in that high regard. Um, Cause I haven't heard you talk like that before. Obviously, you know, maybe we haven't had uh, this long of extended conversation on buddy, but um, yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's spectacular to hear for sure. I, I am, I am where I am because of him. Wow. You know I mean? Like I, yeah. I just, I just am there. There is no two ways about it. Um, I know it's easy to say, and a lot of drivers probably credit their dad um, and will pump their dad's tires, but there's there's very few of them that, I don't know, like, 
And, and I'll, I'll bet you if you go to any of the old guys that drove as well, they'll also speak really high of Buddy. Like they just every I, I it was I mean we even go to director meetings or meetings and even if people were upset at Buddy because he was running good because that seems to be the common theme with us and, and most sports everybody's always mad if you're doing well right mm-hmm. yeah but if he spoke people all just listened do you know what I mean they, yeah. they might not have voted his way all the time or whatever but you know there's arguments going and whatever happens and as soon as he spoke people always acknowledged or gave him the respect to listen to him because they always wanted to hear it and I mean it happens people get upset about the racetracks now if they're not running fast or whatever but then when he comes up and speaks speaks to everybody then all of a sudden it's like yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah we should have yeah or yeah that's exactly what's going on and so it's just i don't know I, like i said as far as wagon racing goes yeah i i'm where i'm at because of my parents i mean my dad obviously for completely different reasons from than my mom but i mean they're who raised us kept us in this and i don't know sometimes i maybe should have been a doctor or something where you get yeah. the guaranteed money and you don't have to keep feeding them but they uh yeah, they, uh, they're 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 why I'm where I'm at for sure. That's awesome. Like you had to answer, and I need you to like be. Don't be humble whatsoever. What makes you the best guy in the world? Is it is it driving? Is it horsemanship? Like obviously it's a combination of the two. But like what's like you know for example you know Grandpa's big thing was was he could drive. Like he could he could similar to what you were describing, about buddy. He could figure out horses and and get the worst horses working as good as you know someone's you know nice outfit or whatever. Like his that's it was his thing was driving. Is he is yours driving? Is it is it it seems like you, like your, like your management, it's hard to tell now because um, the horses are moving so fast and, and uh, they're working so good. And it's hard to tell just from a naked eye um, how good the guy is on the lines. Like it might not look like someone's doing very much. And there's a lot of guys out there like this. Um, it might not look like he's doing very much on the lines, but like, you know, buddy said, it's all in the hands. So um, what's, what's your recipe of success? Is it, is it the management side? Is it putting it all together? Is it just the driving or uh, what do you, what would you say? Well, I, I don't know how I pick one. Uh, right. And that's not like, I, I think that my feeding and I would give my feeding program to anybody. Like it's simple. And, and, and I think that starts in the winter with proper hay and, and the right amount of oats for them because that's where you put bottom in horses. These guys that think that you're, I mean, they all look after them, but they come in and then they train hard and then they, they go race and they're like, well, why can't they last the 40 days of racing or 50 days of racing? It's, but it's because they don't put the proper bottom in. And I believe that comes from the winter time. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and lots don't. And, and I think because I drive so much in the spring that my airs and it, and, I mean, buddy will see my errors, and I know my errors in a race, and then you watch the video, and you're like, oh, my God, I wasn't that bad at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But in your head, you missed your grab, and it feels like it took two minutes to pick it up, and really you picked it up, or the horses worked properly. And and I, for most parts, I don't have my 3-4, that little Islagar that I have on the right lead. He's the only thing that I have that flops. Everything else I have to turn from start to finish, and, and I think that helps me set up for the bottom more often. Um, well, you know, there's a pile of guys that literally have their left hand in the air and they just keep going further left. And that lead team has already made 90% of the turn. And my, most of my leaders are, can't do that, right? Like I literally have to turn them. And if they turn there, I'm crushing the barrels all day long. Yeah. It's just, it's just a different driving style. And I think mine sets me up 
more often than not better for the bottom. And that's why there's lots of times Les will not even say my name. And then when you come to the bottom, I'm right there beside him because I, I gain it back in that top and come to the bottom just because of the style of turn it is. Right, right. Yeah, I've often thought about that myself too. Like, um, you know, there's a guy out there. I, I, I explain this to a couple people. Like, you know, me coming up and, and you know, I'm the same as you. Like, I, you know, growing up in a sport and uh, both have competitive families and stuff. And, and uh, you know, I, I just try and analyze the sport as a whole. Like, okay, how can I get to where – well, how can I get to where you are? Like, that's what I want to know. How can I get to where Grant is? Like, how can I, you know, be that successful? And I look at it, you know, I see guys like Jason Glass. I see guys like um, you. I see guys like, um, you know, Vern this year. Um, and obviously, you know, past years and, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, watch Vern this year because he's in the hunt for the world. And, and you know, I, I watch these guys, and everybody's got different styles. Ricky Fraser was another one, but different styles. They always got the run out of the horses. And they always got the way out of the barrels. And, and, uh, and I always tried to figure out um, if I could do any style I want, what style would I would I pick? Because I, you know, believe, like I'm confident in myself. I can think I can do, I think I can drive like anybody, but I just don't know what style makes the most sense. And I, and I, and that's interesting for you to say that, that um, you think that there is, that, that your style um, makes it that much more effective because the other thing that I think, and I'm, I'm thinking you would agree with this is that certain styles let you drive many, many more horses. And I think that's a huge, huge advantage. Would you agree? I am because on years like this where I have to swap a bunch out. Right. And, yeah. I, and I'm not playing a violin like I had a bad year. Or, or that's the reason I still had the lines in my hands when I screwed up and like, or made the choice of putting a horse in. So it's still my, my fault. But I think when you have a certain style um, and then horses match your style more often than not, you'll be more successful. And that don't mean you're winning a show, but that just means you're closer. Right. Um, and, and that goes with, as far as you find in a style, you need to find out how you break your horses. Yeah. Because if you can't break a right leader to swoop or you can't break them to flop, then that eliminates you driving them all the way around if you can't get them to swoop. And if you can't get them to flop, you better learn to pick up a line every jump of the way, um, you know, and grab the line because it's just on how you, how you're going to break them. Right. So that kind of um, puts me into a question I have a little bit later on. Is there a certain um, horse in a position on an outfit that you feel is most important for you? Like for us, it was always a right leader. We could drive anything else anywhere. Um, the left leader, you know, drive brand new horses anywhere you want. But uh, the right leader um, was always preferred to be a, a good broke um, horse. Is, is there one for you that sticks out or is it more just, I know you kind of mix and match and, and you told me once, um, I was asking you a question about driving. I just forget what I asked you. And you just told me that you, you'll drive each outfit differently. You kind of have to cater your driving to the outfit that you got in front of you. Are you still that way or, or will you look for a certain type of horse? Uh, for sure. No, I, uh, I try to cater to both outfits. Like I said, that little Isagar I have, it's just because of the year I had, I used him more this year again. Yeah. Um, and, and I actually started a, last winter I said that I was probably going to end up having to deal him, but I thank God I didn't. Uh, but he, uh, yeah, he, he's a flopper and I'm not a big fan of it. And if you watch any of my videos off the three, four, even when I take the rail off the three, four on the front end, 
he literally walks the last three steps because he's so lazy. He just flops and waits. If I don't have <laughs> yeah. that big wheel team behind him, then I crush a barrel. But if I try to turn like that with Hitchcock and them or Strode and them, then I'm in no man's land because they don't they don't come like that, right? So you right. literally drive each one differently. Right. Okay. That makes more sense. Um, so is your best or favorite horse that you've ever had, is that Hitchcock or do you have a few of them? Like, let's, like, what are, what are some of the superstars? They seem, they always go unnoticed, less so on an outfit like yours because you've been so prominent the last, you know, five years, six years. Um, but like, what are, what are the ones Like, give me some, it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's fun to hear from for me because you know I, I I can see these horses and 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 you can see, you know what a nice horse is and and I love to hear how they work and so so what are the what who's who's the best in your barn? Well, the best in my barn if he's healthy is Hitchcock, hands down. Um, but he comes with a grain of salt if he has one of his episodes in the barrels where he turns his butt out and wants to turn his head over the left hand leader. That's not good. But but when the horn goes, he leaves all four and takes you to the top and to the bottom and. I mean, I hardly, I gave him, uh, after that year that I missed Calgary, or uh, winning Calgary, so I won two, missed it, and then the next year I had a new horse on, and and, uh, and I had to send him home. So then I thought, oh, my God, I'm going into Pinocchio here. I haven't hooked Hitchcock one day, like, in a race yet. He's been blown in the mornings a couple times, so I said, oh, but I guess if we're going to go after it, we got to put him on. So I used him, I ended up using him four days in a row in Pinocchio because of, uh, we went 3-4 and then 1-2. And then got the one and one, and we won the show. And I think we won three to four day monies, and a second was our worst run with him, because he's just he's just a freak in nature. And the, and there's there's him. There's this czar horse that had a stifle problem that we actually slab fractured to try to get more stuff to grow on it. That's just the way he come back. But I had him, and in the first year I had him. By the time I went to Medicine Hat, I'd already won. Uh, I, I broke the track record with him. Oh, okay. That's Grand Prairie, the first show for two days, and then two days in Medicine Hat, and he broke a track record. I made the dash in Calgary, and then I ended up rolling the outfit later on. But he uh, he just had this problem with stifles, so, I mean, he's still here on the farm, or he was until last year. Um, we lost him, but, I mean, he just he was just a freak. Uh, but the be- best right leader I ever drove was Buddy's uh, Junior Knicks. This is before your time. Buddy had an outfit that, I mean, it's like when he first came over, first few years that he come over and, and he was a big come chestnut. Over from the CPCA. Yeah, come over from the CPCA and he was a big chestnut horse and, and Buddy didn't really drive chestnuts ever and I don't know if that's why I don't really like him. I think them sorrels are kind of like a little bit of a nut bar so I just, I don't even really buy him but so he has this horse and he, High River used to be two weekends it was the Battle of the North or Battle of the shoot, I yeah. forget what it was. Yeah, no, you might be right, Battle yeah, no, it's battle of something. I know what you mean. Yeah. So anyway, they, they he he goes two weekends and he wins every day money in there. And then the horse bows on the last day, even still wins day money and bows. So then he kind of battles with him over the next few years, trains him, gets him to go a few days, and then it takes about three years off. And then he brings him back, and he's 19 years old. And this horse hasn't been seen on the ground. He hasn't nothing. And uh, Buddy leads him over to or sorry, we're hooking, and I'm kind of on the corner by Pinocchio, and Reg Johnstone's there, and Reg comes over, because of course I'm in an early heat, he goes, well, that's not fair, and I said, what? He said, you're hooking that horse, and we literally just brought that horse in. I mean, he was being trained, but nobody's seen this horse in three or four years. Yeah. He's not been in a race. Uh, we haven't hooked him in the morning, so he's been just being trucked and looked after, and I said, what are you talking about? He said, I can't believe you're allowed to hook that horse. I said, that's not fair, and so Reg already knew that Nick was on the ground, 
And yeah. I went out and had the fastest run I'd ever have. It was my first or second year of driving. And I was like third or fourth in Pinocchio. So then Buddy took him back, and he was second day money, first day money, second day money, and then he started to bow again. So he's like, oh, shoot. So then he took him home and just got him looked after, and then he just, you know, ended up passing away at 26 or whatever it was at home. But he was just a freak of nature. So that was the first real taste of greatness, like something that was actually legitimate, yeah, good. And and then this is our horse. And I've had some nice right leaders. I've always lacked on the left side until the last few years. And, and Buddy's horse, Ace, which a lot of people know, um, was a black left leader that he had on his good outfit for many years. And when Buddy retired, that's the one horse I bought. And oh, okay. I he retired, in, or sold out in Calgary, sorry, and then finished out the year with some of his old, old horses. Yeah, Ace would have been like 13 or 14 at the time. So I, I bought him, and then I went the next weekend and won Edmonton, um, you know, and then rolled in Strathmore or whatever, or in, in Dawson Creek. But he, and then I went on, and then I just built my outfit to cater him oh, okay. the next few years. Yeah. And that's how Hitchcock come in. So Hitchcock's first year, he went with uh, with Ace, and it worked out that year that um, High River got rained out so then he got the weekend off. So he'd go two weekends on, have a couple weeks off, two weekends on, and I really think that helped him. Um, by the time we got to Rocky, we were we made we climbed all the way up to uh, the top four, and we weren't we didn't have a shot to win the world, but we were you know at least we were making a run at everything, which was nice. And everybody on the ground was talking about how that outfit was crazy, and you know, and a lot of them were you know besides Ace, were were new that year. So right. then the next yeah. year, I ended up. Uh, well, Donna David's one of them. Like, I just remember because we were all hanging out. But they, they're like, "Holy man, that outfit's gonna make you some money the next years." And then I won Pinocchio in Calgary that year, and then won Calgary the next year, and whatever else in the world. And like, and and all them outfits that I won. I mean, in such a short time, Calgary four in five years. Well, I guess it's six years now. Um, yeah. Hitchcock's the only horse that was on every year. Right. Ace was on for three of the years, but he had. He'd only went out to three, four, and I used him sporadically because he was 20 years old that year. Uh, it was the third time I had won it. And then the big sevens, Wheeler and Dudley and whatever, I've had different ones on. And every every dash I've raced there, I've had a different outfit on. So it's not like I just got hot for five years because I used the same four horses and everything was fine. Was, you know, we, we rotated a lot of second-year horses in to win, and, yeah, I don't know, it just we just got really lucky at the right time, and... I don't know. And as far as wheelers goes, I've had a lot of nice, nice wheelers. And if they, some could have been around at different times, and, but I'm, it's it's easier to have them kind of horses when when you have something to build around. Yeah, well, uh, like a super like a superstar horse. That 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 term's you know said quite a bit, and, and it kind of gets old a lot of times because everybody's got superstar horses. I'm actually the worst for it. Every Every horse I got in my barn, they're all, you know, five to seven years old. And I'm just telling everybody, you know, he's going to be a superstar. So I, I'm bad for it too. But anyways, these, 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 you know, quote unquote superstar horses, like I've seen it firsthand. They they just tend to make like an average horse or, or a, a, a really nice prospect into something just tenfold different. Like if you hook, you know, um, a nice horse with a, with a, you know, one horse like Hitchcock or that ace horse or something, they just seem to, they, they seem to develop, you know, so much quicker, better, and into just, you know, monsters. You feel the same way? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's the difference between a superstar horse, a good horse, and just a horse because there's horses that I can put with Hitchcock and I still do very well. And, you know, right. and, and still have won stuff with them, but um, they're not. I, I can't, if I put Hitchcock with anybody, he gets that. But there's a lot of horses that, as soon as Hitchcock comes out and you put this other horse with him, who's not as good as Hitchcock, because that's really, I just don't have them kind of horses. I wish I had three or four in the barn, but yeah. um, they don't they don't act the same and they can't, they, they, they drop off because they're not with. And you'll see it in wheelers more than anything, that, or at least I have, where I've had some big, powerful lifting the wagon off the ground, day money runs, and then I take his partner away to freshen him up for a little bit, and then mm-hmm. horses back off right now. Hmm. And it's right. and it's because they they are just horses, and then when they're with them other outfits, they they really work and yeah. they go. Right. Yeah, and that's kind of goes that kind of goes back to to what um, we were talking about earlier. Like when those when a lot of these top guys lose those key horses, lose the horse that makes the other horse want to you know compete that hard or helps that horse compete that hard. A lot of guys can't replace it, but you've seemed to. I don't know. Maybe it's something in the water. Maybe it's uh, like like Buddy says, it's in the hands or it's the way you guys are breaking. I don't know what it is, but uh, I'd, I'd love to be a fly on the wall like one spring, you know. It's a, it's a combination. I mean, I've had all different kinds of drivers out here. I mean, I trained at Jordy Fikes as well. Um, right. But I don't I don't have nothing crazy. I don't do it. Just people find it hard to believe that we run like we do or just start like we do our barrel or keep being lucky enough to find some of these horses, and it's just because we feed and train. But in wagon racing, is like hockey or any other sport. People don't understand why... Um, we all apparently put in the same amount of time, you know, in training. We all feed the same. We all drive the same. All our horses are the exact same, and it's not. And and I think that's, like I said, touched on earlier, that 16 horses this year, and usually it's like 12 to 16 or whatever, but I have a better shot of finding that natural one than you do uh, with three horses, just by percentage-wise. Right. Yeah. You can have... Um, the Kentucky Derby winner here, but if he don't like wagon racing or yeah. being on a wagon, then he, he's got nothing. I mean, Hitchcock won two races in his life, and that's it, and he's one of the fastest horses I've ever owned, and that happens with a lot of my horses, some with unreal records, absolutely been awesome, big, strong, running horses, and then horses that have no record are also the same. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. and I've claimed horses which ain't for big money, but five thousand American. That's like seems like a hundred thousand Canadian nowadays. Yeah. But it's uh, I brought them horses back, made seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you think, holy man, this is a horse because they can run, but they don't. Yeah. They don't like yeah. it. Yeah. And if they don't like it, and that's a huge misconception among people, they think that we beat these horses and make them do it. And if and if that was actually true, I could save so much money by not buying two <laughs> no I would kidding, literally man. buy four horses, or I already have enough here to last me another 10 years, not 10, but like four or five years with 50 head before I bought these other ones. Yeah. You know, it would be it would be just so easy because it would okay. be like, I just need a right leader. I'm just going to make you be this right leader and run really fast and start and turn for me. It's just not realistic. No, like if we could, if we could make these horses, if we could beat them into into running this fast for us, I mean, our lives would be so much simpler. We wouldn't have, like you say, we wouldn't have those thirty horses. I mean, but but the the problem is, like, um, and and don't get me wrong, I'm sure if you could, 
or if you really, really tried, and this is going to sound horrible, I'm sure if you really tried, you could make one of these horses, you know, go around the track, go work in the barrels. I'm sure you could scare them into it or beat them into it or whatever. I'm, you know, but, but the reality of it is, is you wouldn't be going fast enough to compete with us. Like you just, you simply wouldn't be, um, within the upper echelon or, or you wouldn't even, you know, be able to, to run a race in the WPCA competitively it, with horses that aren't competitive in nature themselves. Like they're thoroughbred animals, you know what I mean? They're bred for whatever it is. It's been a couple hundred years to, to, um, actually, not sure how long it's been, but, but yeah, to, to be competitive, like you put them, you know, side by side and that kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. Like, you know, some horses, if, 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 if uh, one left leader stretches his nose out, the other right leader tries that much harder. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're in competition with each other. They're in competition with the wagons next to them. They just, you know, they love to, um, go to bat to play the game every night you know I, I and that's that's what you know I personally love so much about these horses they're just they're machines you know they, they they're so aggressive they're they're so um and, and you know obviously not at nighttime in the barns or they're, they're just like you know big puppy dogs but um you know when you when you get a when you get a run them and and you, and you get to work with them you get to see what they're made out of that that's that's the fun part for me yeah well absolutely and, and I mean as far as beating them into to doing it I mean, as far as probably just running, I just don't see how you do it in the barrels. You see some of the best starting outfits are in Grand Prairie before the races start. Yeah. Because every outfit's got the smooth horn, everything's got it, and and then as time goes on, smooth doesn't go and everything. So if you were – the horses know they're not stupid. Like and, like horses are so incredibly smart, and, and the ones that know, especially as they get older – they see a barrel like cheating barrels is a real thing most of it's our own fault because we let them float let them float um towards it but that's that's a real thing and you can't take that out of them because they they're like a they're like a kid or or a lazy athlete or uh, you know there's guys in the nhl like that where if they can cut corners they do and then they don't last as long in the in their sport but i mean it's yeah they're just they're just an amazing animal and and like I said, the the ones that want to be here are on my farm, and the other ones go to somebody else. And and sometimes with their driving style or or their partner that they partner up with or whatever, they, they just seem to like it and they keep going. Yeah, sometimes it works out. Like like you'll you know I I've had horses like that too it, 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 that come to me that you know my dad doesn't like or so and so doesn't like or whatever, and then they come to my barn. It's not because I'm a better driver or, or better at this or anything like that. Obviously, because I'm I'm a rookie and I'm buying these horses from from guys that are a lot better and, and more experienced than I am. But it just seems to be like whatever it is the training program or or the way I'll set my lines or or the way I want to turn the barrel, or like you said, the buddy, or maybe, you know, another thing I think too is a lot of these guys with 50, 60 horses, when you take them into a barn with 15 or 20 horses, it's a lot lower key. And I think that helps a lot of horses too. Um, but anyways, I, I, what about, um, you know, since we're kind of on the subject, what about like, I've seen an upswing in this sport the last year or two. Um, it seems like it's getting, you know, more and more competitive back to where it was kind of like that, 2013 uh year you know like it seemed to it seemed to be there uh, it could be off on my years i'd have to actually go back and look to see you know i got in my mind who was winning calgary and stuff like that um in those years but 
it seems like it's, it's finally, it seems like we went down and then it's picking up, uh, you know, more so now last year was, was very prominent to me. And uh, I think next year is going to be even more competitive than it was last year. Do you think the same way? Do you think we're like, how do you look at the sport as a whole? Like with, with everything that went on in Calgary this year, um, like do you see a bright future for this? Uh, like, you know, it wasn't so long ago I was hearing people, oh, it's never going to last. It's never going to do, do this. And now it seems like, you know, there's so many guys that are that are um, in contention for winning the top shows right now. And, and, uh, and it, everything's looking, you know, pretty strong again. So what do you think about all that? Are you saying it's more competitive because I was less competitive? Is that what you're asking me? No, no. I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying it's more competitive because – Honestly, and I like I honestly think it's more competitive because you've been winning so much, and I don't like I know like a lot of a lot of other people don't like to see that like they don't like to see you know one guy dominate. So I think uh, whatever it was that you know you put something in everybody's water, it just seemed to it seemed to it seemed guys that kind of were stagnant for a while, you know, picked it back up, and and now they're more interested in the game. Like it, you 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 know, it brings it brings uh, life into the sport when someone. Uh, comes and dominates but you know on top of that with all the you know negative media that we were getting in Calgary and stuff like that um, and uh, you know we obviously we've had a little bit of flack before um, you know in past, in past years and stuff but everything's getting tighter that when the oil crashed it, you know um, the economy crashed uh, truck, truck wagons you know took a hit so it was kind of dark and gloomy, but I'm just saying, like, you know, in that last couple of years, um, it, it seemed to uh, picked up uh, a lot in my eyes. It seems like, you know, we have hope again. It seems like uh, it, it, it's, not so, it's not so ugly looking at it as a young guy, um, you know, coming into the sport. It, it, does, it looks like maybe I'm not throwing my, you know, whole future away as it, as it did when I was 16 or 17. You know what I mean? Yeah, but do you think that's because you're starting to get a grasp on Chuck Wagon reason? Or do you think it's because um, because more guys had a shot at winning? Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, my, my question is, is because if if you think that it's now you have a better shot because there's more guys going, it's actually realistically the opposite. Because now if you were talking about me being dominant, nobody had been able to beat me. And now there's seven guys like me out there that should actually discourage you because it's more competitive, um, like way harder to get there because now it's not just Kurt you got to worry about. It's the other seven or eight guys that are, that are really running. Do well, I, mean? I, I do. I, I, it, would, it would discourage most people, but like, I, you know, I don't know how well, you know, you know me like on a personal level or, or, or whatever, but like, I'm a lot like my grandpa. Like I, I, I think I like, can be the best no matter what. I, I tell people that all the time. Like there's there's nothing that that anybody could say in my you know to me right now or or ever. And I don't care who it is. It could be my grandpa. It could be my dad. It could be you. It could be it could be ten of the best chuck wagon drivers living and breathing. And they could tell me that I'm a bad driver and I'm this. And I'd laugh it off. I like you cannot tell me that I'm a bad driver. Like that's just you know like I just I just you know so to me the the um competitive has never deterred me what what deterred me was that like you know if I do put in the five years of the sport or 10 years of sport I put in all this money I put in all my future I put in all my time and and is there going to be anything left in 10 years is there going to be anything left in 40 years if I win all these chuck wagon races is anybody even going to care you know what I mean like is there any going to be is there even going to be a sport left 
and I and I think you know for me personally in my situation, uh, you know I I was you know alongside Grandpa closely last four or five years, and and he's seen a lot of uh, you know years in chalk wagon racing, and he just he really didn't he didn't even want me to start actually at one point tell you the truth he said i don't like the way the sport looks i don't think you should you should uh, get into it and i think you should wait and maybe go get an education and do that type of thing and and i said wow if the sport's not going to be around then you know i want to try it now like if it's not going to be in 10 years i, I want to do it now so at least i get my crack at it you know i was in the barns and i was 10 years old and and you know shoveling shit so why can't i you know raise the reward of it like you know so that's kind of why i got into it but it just seemed like it just seemed like everything was like you didn't you didn't think it was ever um, in a downturn at any point there. I think that it's like a hockey dressing room. When you develop bad players, and I don't mean talent-wise, I mean bad tasting players, which we would call a cancer in a room, and you keep getting more and more of them, and they stick together, and they all have their complaints. That if you only hear how bad the team is in the dressing room, you already assume that before you go in. And the team comes out and performs like that. But when you start cutting out some of your cancer, and I'm not saying we've done that the last few years, I just think that some of the cancers even maybe have been more successful or uh, more competitive, and all of a sudden now they're now they're enjoying the sport again. Like yeah. I I uh, I talked lots with your grandpa, especially the last few years, and he talked differently about wagon racing when he wasn't uh, winning Calgary. And I don't think that's a direct reason, but I think that has something to do with it. I know when I was at Calgary this year, even almost climbing out of the 13 dang seconds that I gave myself because I wasn't smart this year, um, I still wanted to be in Calgary. And probably out of the 36 guys there, there's probably not more than eight, even some of them top eight in, in the top eight, sorry, didn't want to be there because they're ready to go home. Right. You know, right. and I think that affects it. The economy was a big thing because it's hard to put money into something when you don't know that you're going to get it. If you're in wagon racing to get money back, especially short term, it's not realistic. Yeah. It's it's just not. Because the good years, yes, I've had some good years, but, I mean, the year before I won it, my sponsor didn't show up with any money. So, I mean, I went for basically a whole year without any money. And, like, so it really put us back. And I had a yeah. choice. I either put the money I had left into wagon racing or I back right out. Right. And I'm right. glad I did what I did now. Um, but it's not like we're just, you just take 100000 and you just put it in the bank every year and you don't spend it. it just Now I have <laughs> 60 head of horses instead of 30, and it costs the same, and now I'm running two wagon groups. And, I mean, that's even without Josh. I almost have that, you know, myself. Kurt, I will give you this. I was lucky enough, uh, me and you talked quite a bit this year at Stampede, which was a pleasure on my part. Um, but me and you had to unfortunately have a harder conversation when I was at the uh, radio station, but you always were positive. And I think that's, uh, I think that's what I've always respected is you spent an entire day doing two, three hours of media. I don't even know. I was your last report that day. Um, and, uh, a, you joked with me when I uh, joked with you about your singing and then you went on and you were, you were positive about the sport, but you also laid it out in a way that I think even 
the person who hates the sport the most couldn't argue with you because you were so blatant and blunt about it. You just said, here are the facts and this is how it is. And you don't have to like me, but you have to learn. And that's kind of what I always respected about you is you didn't, you could have been very, I guess, down about it, but you weren't. You were very positive and optimistic. Yeah, and that, that, well, thank you. I I try to be, even though some days you do, it's really hard to be. Uh, but and that's not from a sports standpoint in my mind. That's from a personal right. Like you run over a barrel, you don't feel good about yourself because it takes you a long time to get back, um, especially at Calgary. But I, I think, and that, that's kind of my point um, with Dayton about the sport itself. And I'm not saying I thought, oh, I never had doubts that the sport wasn't going to go on or that we weren't in a lull because I I really believe we have been. Um, and I, I don't think we've really climbed out of it that much. I think a big show like Century Downs has really um, kind of sparked a lot because it gave us, not that the shows are not uh, great shows that we run after Calgary, but it's really hard to finish out the season when there's nothing really, really big up. And then you sit for the whole winter remembering how the last month was. And that's the yeah. worst part about wagon racing. You win Calgary, and then you go to um, the one year we went to High River, and I didn't touch one of my good outfits, and I was just because if we did just done Pinocchio and Calgary and won them both, um, we got lucky and still won the world anyway. But and then you go there and you're like nothing against High River, but you're comparing it to to Calgary. Then you go to Strathmore, comparing it to Calgary, and and even if you win one of them, it's awesome because you don't want anybody else to win, and and maybe that's what drives me. But you you it's really hard to come back the next year knowing the last four shows were just mediocre or not as um, prestigious or there's not as much. And then you win the world. And until this year, the world is zero dollars. They give you a lease truck, which is an amazing thing. You don't have to pay, you know, so that's, that's got a big dollar value on it. Yeah. And a bronze, but the bronze you're not selling. So really, and then you have to buy three tables at the, at the banquet basically for sponsors and stuff. And they all deserve it. But I mean, so then you walk away from there for winning the world, you get a truck for a year and a bronze and you have a bill for $3,000 from the banquet because you brought everybody there, you know? And I know that it sounds like uh, kind of whiny or whatever, but I just mean like there's no, there was no prestigious thing to wagon racing after Calgary. It built to Pinocchio, Calgary, and the world is awesome to win, but it's not like when you win one of the other major, major shows. And then this no, year they no. put a cash value to it, which really helps. The world is the world is for the belt buckle or the bronze. It's for the it's for the record book. Like it's never been. Calgary's always always been the, the the because you get the cash too and and the accolade because it's probably I don't know if it's harder to win the world or or if it's harder to win Calgary. Um, I've heard different things from from guys who won or both. But but uh, so if you think that if you're saying that that you know Century Downs is is uh, you know brought this. Um, more like light into the situation, uh, and I don't mean to call it situation um, that you know it's a bad thing that we're in. But um, what what continues us on this path? And is it better shows? Is it more money? Is it uh, more dri- more drivers uh, wanting to get into it? Is it you know more competitive drivers? Like like what uh, what helps us out in your eyes? Well, proper management. I think I think yeah. the problem with it is is that you. We, we have a budget, and the problem is is not everybody's budget is the same. So right. for us to go to a show for, I don't know, I'm just going to throw a number, but at 20000 a day, 
they're like, holy man, look how much you make. You're, if you're 36, which we all have them days, I had two or three of them this year again. And I'm not saying like, like I know guys had more of them, but I mean, I've had them. I know what you get paid for them shows that you're there. You don't make any money. And if you're at the top, like I've been lucky enough to be, your outriders cost you more. So when I'm 36, my outriders cost me the same. So I'm actually losing money over and above what I've already lost doing it. And I have three to four times as much money sunken into it. Yeah. So it's, it's just a, it's just a crazy, I don't know. It's, it, well, it's, no it's all about management, right? And, and, and it kind of, but you, the economy has really hurt it because it was too easy. So even someone like your grandpa, who at the end of it, the economy was starting to drop and it wasn't easy anymore. It was a lot easier for your grandpa to walk into a business and get some big dollars for the association and himself. And by the end, because of the economy, it was really hard for him to do that. Yeah. Anybody to do it. Um, I was still a big pusher to send him even after he retired. I was like, if Kelly will go, send him to GMC or send him to whoever because he's a name that people want to go hear or see. And um, whether they like him or not, because they would do that whole double jeopardy thing and they would do that, they do that with me as well now, where it's like, well, some people don't like you because you've been winning too much. Okay, well, that makes me a bad guy. But at the end of the day, I still have to feed my family, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But people still would like to see me even if it's to be like oh there's that guy you know rather than and and no offense to some of the other drivers but there's 36 of us and we try to get everybody out evenly but i mean the edmonton oilers don't send out whoever their fifth liner is all the time yeah. because corporate sponsors want to see mcdavid right you know and if you don't send them guys out whether you like him or you're mad at him because he didn't score on his breakaway or whatever it doesn't matter or he didn't pass to your other favorite payer. It's 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 you know besides the point. But they have to like we. It's it's about management, and I don't mean like if you send me everywhere, all of a sudden it'll be good. But there's a lot of big name drivers, and they should probably be pushed more. But as far as drivers go, most of them don't want to go do that. Most of them don't want to go out more often to our like, and it's not because they don't like GMC or they don't like uh, like any of our other Wrangler or whatever, our major sponsors. It's just that they have other commitments with their horses and they want to stay there, but we're at that stage. And hopefully as more of the old guys leave and it's not a beak to the old guys, but we can get out of that whole way of thinking and more into the part where we're more in public more often, um, like the drivers personally, so yeah. that it, it, it puts a better light on it. I mean, when you're talking about them guys before, and this is before, like a few of the guys that retired before uh, your grandpa did, there's guys literally on the radio that are the top three of the world saying, oh, the sport's in trouble because they're all sour. And and I'm saying, like, you should find them guys because they're just making – and then anybody on the radio hears that, and then they tell their friend, and then it's just – it gets back to my cancer comment where it just gets worse and worse and it snowballs because that's all you ever hear, that the sport is horrible or we're all going under, then what else? what else would anybody on the outside think? And it's a lot easier to think that if everybody keeps telling you that. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense, like, why you why you said that at the start, um, like, the cancer thing. And, I, and that's actually the first time I've heard it, but that's that's hitting close to home because that's, that's too true. And, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I do think that, that obviously some guys have a reason to be sour and, and, uh, and they're tired of the sport. I get that. It's, it's, it's tough. It's, you know, you got all this um, – money tied up into it and things aren't shaking out their way. But then um, 
I don't know. Maybe maybe you're right in the fact that they like quit complaining and start you know start going for it. Like I you know I I don't know, but uh, um, that that's a it's a that's a real enlightening um, for me to hear. It. Like I I haven't heard it before, and I've you know talked to a lot of a lot of guys. Obviously, I haven't talked to you, um, but uh, yeah, that's that's uh, blowing any, my mind. In any sure. sport or team, it comes down to the same thing: the teams that thrive are the ones that keep pushing through. The ones that are the whiniest hardly ever win anything, right? And yeah. I, and I and I mean that 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 is in every sport, and it's hard for people. And it really bothered me when guys were doing that, and they still do it a bit, and that's why they're quitting. And and some are quitting because they're sour; they weren't making enough, or they weren't winning enough. And some are quitting because financially you can't. And I totally understand that. But I'll guarantee you. When I leave the sport, I'm not going to be a guy, and it doesn't matter how much I win from here on out, I'm not going to be the guy that says, I'm leaving the sport because it's a bullcrap sport or everybody else is doomed. And Do you know what I mean? And not all the guys are saying that, and that's not their whole intention. But, I mean, I'm hoping to leave the sport so that when it's done or when I'm leaving, that there's somebody else standing there that wants to come up and, and jump into it because they realize that there is something here. This is not a sport to come get rich quick or – any of that kind of stuff but if you love horses you love the people and traveling and especially horses and family time where you can pack your family with you there's no other sport in the world like this this is this could not be better for you yeah right yeah no that's that's 100 percent. that's that's getting close to home for me like i i'll i'll be i'll tell you right now i'm, I'm guilty i'm talking about you know down on the sport and, and stuff and and the situation that it's in and and uh you know like it, it doesn't go unwarded there there are issues and that's what like uh like where me and josh sure. can relate um you know starting out and stuff like that but uh yeah no you heard it here first everybody like let's stop talking bad about truck wagon racing let's be positive <laughs> don't be so gloomy you know let's you know, make it better yeah no that's that's for sure i appreciate that kurt no kurt, worries it's just a thought do you think that one of the things that could benefit the sport I mean, you said there. You hear it on the radio, and then it kind of goes out from there, and that goes both with the cancer talk and also kind of just the bad media that happens, especially around Stampede. Do you think if the guys, I know this is like for some of them, it's completely foreign, but learning how to use social media as a positive could help. Well, we've we've honestly taken uh, taken guys, and because it's a blanket thing, and you can't. You can't do anything to single people anymore. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm I'm saying I can't go to Dayton and say, Dayton, you're crappy on Facebook. You have to pick up your socks and start doing this because then oh, it no, feels like you're singling them, right? <laughs> yeah, okay, well, you can do that with Dayton, but we can't do that with a group. So as a group, we'll bring in everybody. And some of us do some pretty good videos and some of us slack. And, and it's not just about Facebook, but social media is a very good outlet for for nothing it's free so tool you know yeah it's a very easy outlet tool like in any of them social medias are good so we've had courses for everybody we're in canada brought in their top um marketing whatever and they showed everybody how to do it and a lot of us already knew Um, i started using it more often as well and their complaint is that they don't have time and then a guy like mark who's active on it will say it literally takes you as long as it does the text. That's how long your post is. And it push send and it goes out. That's how long. And they say they don't have the time to do it, but it's just, and then there's some drivers that say that media or social media is bad. And 
they don't have one in their whole entire family. And, and that's also a choice. And they don't need to have a family one if they don't like it, but they should have a racing one. They should have them uh, icing a horse, uh, walking a horse around, watching a horse play, or whatever they want to put on there, or their daily updates of their new horses. Or It, it doesn't matter, but they, they should, but they don't. We and had all drivers to go to an event in a clean shirt, so I don't know how we get. Um, it's not a beak to them. I understand people are working in the barns, but I mean, the more professional you look, the the better it is for the sport. So, and that makes sense to me. It's just always something I've kind of wondered because I mean, someone like you, you went home, you supposedly showered, and then you got on your truck and drove down south, and then you wrote a Facebook post about it. And uh, it just gave someone an insight into kind of your day. So that's kind of one of my questions is, like, could as a sport we do better or you do better at promoting uh, just actually how awesome it is and the horses are and that through social media. So that answers my question. He, he, the, the second hurdle that we have, and I have it lots, and I'm, and I'm very guilty of it, is that you think that people don't give a shit for lack of a better term that I'm – uh, training this horse or I turn that horse out and look at him play or whatever because it's the same that everybody has but the people on Facebook that are wagon drivers or their wives or their kids probably don't give a shit but it's the people outside of that that like it. I've seen a lot of Facebook posts where I'm like that's ridiculous why would you even put that on there and then they get great response from it because it's the we're, I, you, we keep in our brains for some reason worrying about the actual wagon family families and that's not who we're trying to reach. They already know how wagon racing involves or works. It's the uh, people outside of that that we're trying to reach, and them are the people that benefit from it. So once you get your head out of that cloud, you know, and over one, it, it helps out. I think uh, to understand why social media is important. It's not for me thinking Dayton's crazy because he rode his outriding horse to the field. And I don't know if you did that, but I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> that, that, you know, that, that to me is like, holy man, like, who cares, Dayton? I don't care that you did that. But the other people are like, oh, that's cool. He's riding Leroy or whatever. Um, and they eat that up. And that's the people we're trying to educate. And we need to focus on more, like, when we're doing that kind of stuff or should be doing it more. And you talked about it earlier. You said uh, getting out more into the into the community. And kind of what came to my mind, I talked about this on our last podcast, was back when Jason and uh, Joe Carberry went to GMC. And that was just like a highlight for me growing up as a kid in the truck wagon community. Um, so is that something that you think we should bring back where drivers do that sort of thing to connect with those people, say, in the city who don't really have that connection and aren't able to just walk up to one of you guys and say, hi, nice to meet you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, we do it at just about every show already, um, and and like I'm saying that I'm I'm one of the guys too that sometimes is like, oh shoot, I got to go do that or whatever. And and Tammy Christensen, like uh, she does most of juggling around to make sure everybody goes and putting them on the proper spots. But sometimes just going to a pancake breakfast is what they're doing, or loading a shopping cart, or pumping fuel. Um, I, I don't, that, that's probably why more guys don't enjoy it because when you go there and it's not that it's not good because, uh, pumping fuel, they donate it back to the grounds and to the wagon racing and, and all them spots happen, but it's like the same group of people. So it'd be nice if you got to different events outside of that, 
I mean, I go to sportsman dinners and and other things like that, and you you really see the different crowds at them kind of places. So it's good to have the more presence you could have for things like that. I think would help as well. Absolutely. Um, I guess kind of switching gears over to the business side, uh, you've built a really good relationship with your sponsor. Um, and I, I mean, it, 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 when I think of you, I think of Versatile. How have you done that? <laughs> uh, I got Kent Storman from Versatile Energy because I played hockey with the Innisfail Eagles. I told my wife I was quitting, and she talked me out of it because she said that Innisfail is closer to her hometown, Troshu, and that will just give her more trips home. So then we started playing a little bit. We lost out. They were having a honky talk, or hockey talk and honky talk, honky tonk, and they did uh, a little thing in old. They had singer come out, and then they had uh, um, Sutter's talk and um, a, a Berkey come out from Calgary, and they had this whole big deal. And then they called me up on stage to wave or whatever, and Kent was down there, um, and he's a sponsor of the Eagles, and he said to call him the next day. Or on Monday. So then when I went to call him, my wife's like, no, you got to give him a few days. You don't want to seem desperate. And I said, well, no, it, this isn't like trying to pick up a girl. This is completely different. This is a sponsor. And if he wants you to, if he wants you to call him, you call him. You don't, you don't, there's no rules of engagement of feeling desperate. He said to phone him. So I did. And then he started with, uh, I gave him a bunch of different options and he started with my wagon box that year. Uh, and then I sold a few days in Pinocchio to him. And he was legitimately, like, every day that I raced, and he was only on the box, um, with the exception of Pinocchio there, he phoned me or texted me every day. Like, he was right on. And then the next year he took me, or so the last few years, he's taken me for just about everything except for the northern shows. And he's just, uh, we, we go on family vacations with him. He Because we won Calgary last year, he sent me and my girls, nationally to Disney World. Um I go with him to Vegas and his uh, girlfriend and my wife and Smitty and them, but like he just, it's, it, it builds if you don't treat it like only a sponsor, if that makes sense. There's, there's some sponsors that just want to write a check and say, here you go. And then there's the other ones that are a lot funner um, to engage with because now it's more of a personal thing with me and Kent um, that like we talk all the time try to hang out with him a bit in the winter besides if we go on a vacation um he's just they're just down to earth people and they're here to help you um if you do well that's awesome if not that's awesome you know like they're just they're just here for the family and it's both ways which makes things way easier when you don't have people um worried about how you're going to perform that sounds like it sounds like really an interesting way of kind of going about it and i mean i guess it's built into like you said a friendship so it's now more beneficial because you have that connection absolutely if if kent doesn't sponsor me next year um he'll still i'm hoping he still comes to the shows i mean the guy's a pretty successful businessman and he bought water guns to have a water fight with my girls and he <laughs> gets the wettest you know and my wife locks the camper doors because nobody's allowed in the camper when there's water so um but in Strathmore, he goes to war and yeah, with the kids and loves it, and he's soaked, soaked, and yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's just a good feeling because, I mean, when my girls found out that Kent 
bought me in Calgary. And we, he, he was coming to buy me, but he officially bought me. And you tell him, and they're like, yes, Kent got us, too, you know, because they, they just want to spend time with Kent, you know, and Teresa, they're, they're just great people. And they all, uh, they're, all their kids look after our kids. And uh, it's just, it makes life a lot easier when it's, when you're not as worried about anything because it's just more casual and it's a legitimately a legitimate friendship, not just a sponsorship. Absolutely. The other thing, the other thing I love seeing about that too, like, is that, you know, there's, there's been dynasties um, and obviously some a lot more successful than the others, um, you know, in chuck wagon racing sponsorship and driver duos. And uh, I, ah, Jesus, it's top of the heap. It's, it's, or at least close to it, it's got to be uh, uh, you and versatile and Kent. So it's it's great to see, you know. And, and when you think about Kurt Benziller the last couple of years, you think versatile energy, and that's what you. And when you see versatile energy, you think Kurt Benziller. You know what I mean? It, it they almost go synonymous with each other, at least in, in the world that that uh, we're in. So it's it's so it's it's cool to see that. It's almost like you're you're flying the colors, you're flying the same flag, you're you're on the same team for multiple years in a row. It's it's great to see. Um, especially like really, really good sponsors like that get rewarded with a good guy and, uh, and success, excuse me, in the sport. Yeah. And, and a lot of my success, especially the last couple of years is him. And I've had all different kinds of sponsors. I've won with all different kinds of sponsors and, and they've all, I have, I don't I literally, I mean, it's easy to say, and everybody probably says I literally don't have a complaint about any. I've had the ones that signed the check and, and just show up whenever and, the other ones that really want you to win and that's fine. Cause I put more, I, I tell everyone the same. There's, you can't put more pressure to win on me than I put on myself. Like it's just not realistic. There is no more pressure to put on. I put it on. Um, and then I have the guys like Kent and them that, that are hoping like they're, they're obviously want me to do well and he's pushing for us to do well. But I mean, if I don't, he's not like, okay, you're done. You're out of here. <laughs> he, it's, it's a real family based friendship. And, I had Sutina and they I still have great friends there in the community, right? And they they come down the road and come hang out with us and make meals like it's it there's been a lot of good sponsors I've had and, and Kent's definitely right there at the top. AIC construction with Hart and Helen. I had them until I had basically Kent, you know, and and, and I still do off and on. They're just if you can surround yourself with people like that that are have are more excited for you that you do good than for their company. It, it really, you know, it really helps a lot. Ken sounds like such a great guy. I want to be friends with him now. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's good. He, he does nothing but donate to charities. And well, I think I'm a kind of a charity case some days, but he, he <laughs> no donates kidding. to charities and like, he's the kind of guy that buys something at a charity and then donates it right back for them to do it again. Um, he just, uh, he just, he's just one of them people that want to help people. That's great. That's, uh, that's, that's good to hear um, that you guys are doing so well together. We've taken up a lot of your time, but there's one question that uh, I want to ask because, it, well, I'll tell you the story in short form. I was, I was sitting up in the skybox in Grand Prairie this year with, uh, and, and Chan Stegan was standing next to me. We had the same sponsors. We were standing in the skybox. And uh, we were watching, yeah, it was a nine seat, but he was done. So we were watching you drive, or I was at least. And I, you know, I, I, I just made a comment about something. This man, he's pretty handy with, you know, the way he did that or whatever. And then Chance just looked at me like, oh, oh yeah, he can drive. Kurt can drive. And I said, and, you know, I, I 
forget what I said. And he said, um, you know, Buddy made you and David and and, uh, and Chance drive nonstop. He said that's all you guys did. So, what was it like, um, you know, growing up with you guys and and uh, your dad and and uh, like did you, did you guys drive everywhere? Like, like I knew you guys kind of you know drove like moving hay bales and stuff. And and uh, but what was that like? Like, I mean. It's crazy to have one, you know, kid wagon driver in the family, let alone three. <laughs> it was a war. We were, <laughs> we, there was Buddy who was right, like legitimately right all the time. We thought he yeah. wasn't. Uh, um, we we went to war with each other. We were more interested, uh, David was the worst, but we were more interested in fighting with each other um, when we were growing up. I drove teams. I hated riding. I don't know why. I just, I just never... I never felt as good on the back of a horse as I did driving a team, signing up for, you know, um, like Paul and Bale, that, that was me. And, and I, I always enjoyed driving teams. David was, David's as handy as you know, uh, like one of the handiest outriders that's probably ever graced an outriding horse. He just, I would never tell him that to his face. So if he listens to this, this will suck, but he's honestly like incredibly handy. Like, he did it at the racetrack for years where he'd go break everybody's wild ones. He's just, He's just good on a horse, yeah. um, and Chance is the opposite, where he's okay on a horse and a decent driver, but he's the one that I don't know if he's always looking for a fix. I mean, one time we're in Grand Prairie and he's got headphones in because he's trying to listen to music right until he drives because that's how he's focusing. He's always he was always looking for them whatever. And and this year, last couple of years actually, Chance has really started to drive better and be more committed and stuff. So that's helped him. But I mean. When we drove, I remember David and Chance and myself quitting wagon racing a few times because Buddy giving us shit or whatever and telling you what you had to do. Um, or like, and seriously, for the benefit, he wasn't doing it just to be like, hey, I'm going to make you guys mad today and, and tell you you're not supposed to be driving like that or whatever. Uh, when I started, we had almost 80 head and it was just me and Buddy and we were in Lloyd because we didn't always train at home. There was a field we'd go in there, and it snowed in the morning, and I was like, oh, thank God, I get a break, and he's got to clean all these dang box stalls. And Buddy's like, no, no, we're hooking. And it was just two of us. We didn't tie horses, so one would hold the wheel team and then hook the leaders as we went. I don't know, we just broke better back then. Um, but so we take off in the field, and I got halfway across this field, and I thought, okay, you got to give me a pull here. My hands are freezing. He didn't come. You know, he just sent me on my way. <laughs> there was just four outriding horses that didn't really drive that well, but he made me drive every day. And as we're coming back, or as I'm coming back, I gotta like I'm worried that if I come back too quick, he's gonna be mad at me because he knows I just you know whisked out and come back. So I'm trying to fight how cold my hands are, kind of circling in this dang field. And then when I come back, I parked and I was like, I can't even undo these snaps. Like, why didn't you come? He said, Well, it's too cold. I said, Why did you send me? You know. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of wars. We still have wars because there's four grown-ups and we're all apparently right all the time, and, which is it's just so weird to have four different opinions that are right. That's not realistic, but apparently we do. Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't change it for anything. I think uh, I was the one that even David's driving or Chance is driving or Buddy, and we took 12 outfits in a day. I would ride with just about every one of them. Right. Um, Chance would have to do his chores as well because he usually didn't always have a hired man, and, and David would always break new outriding horses, so I was the one lucky enough to always be in the wagon. Right. 
so did you guys always like like or or did you ever all train together is that that's what you're saying so like there was you david and and chance and buddy like all spring training all the horses training all at once yeah, we, we stayed at my Uncle Tommy's in Calgary one year because we had too much snow here. All four of us were in the same yard in his little 40 acres. Um, yeah, and that's, we had 165 or 170 head or whatever it was, and we all were in the same yard, and then we kind of broke apart after that. I don't know, we were just too close for too many days. At least when we are at home, everybody kind of shipped up to Buddy Trucks at his and, and so did Chance and then um, at, at Dad's and then David kept his horses up here at my house and then we they would haul up here to hook because my place is really sandy but yeah we we were at least we got breaks there because we'd go back to our own but there we were all living in campers right beside each other and it's a lot of horses to be moving in a day what about uh what about david he's my guy like you know i get a lot of good with david and i always have fun with him like when he's in calgary but how was he as a driver as a driver david was very very cautious cautious yeah cautious like he'll take the three extra jumps at the top and not because he couldn't turn them and just because he always gave ample room everywhere and in a, in a and that's not a bad thing but in a sport of time in one one hundredths you need to steal it back and he said well i didn't hit many barrels or a barrel or whatever and i said yeah but if you're gonna go three jumps higher every time you're you know in two weeks you already hit a barrel anyway if you were tight you could be a lot but he, no, he he was a good driver. Uh, he was the poorest one of us all. Um, but he, yeah, he was. He's probably until now he was probably the best caretaker out of the boys for sure. He really looked after his horses, loved them, you know. And, and not that we don't, but I mean that's another reason I didn't do well when I was younger. I was young. I was young, kind of on top of the world, having fun. You know, going out at night or whatever, bars were sponsoring me because I was young. So you got limo rides everywhere. So people thought you were cooler than you were, but you really weren't. Yeah. Um, uh, so I partied a lot more, you know, probably drank too many beers. For sure. <laughs> get away from you. I know, I know that uh, firsthand. <laughs> are, you look- are you looking forward to a chance being back on the world this year? Uh, I think I am. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as long as he looks after his own stuff, and I don't mean like horses. The problem is, even when I, and I really didn't notice it until Josh come, um, finding hay for my outfit is kind of have your guy go to guys everywhere you go or everything set up. And then when Josh come, all of a sudden it's phone go, hey, where are we getting our straw? Or where's well, I already had mine ordered. I bought my hay last year at this time, you know, because I try to do it a year in advance. So then you get the added stresses of that. But chance I. I send horses to him quite a bit, um, not quite a bit, but just sometimes when he needs extra help, I'll, I'll send new horses and some old horses. Uh, so him being there will will help because we don't have to send him anywhere, and I can keep him right there in my barn and him look after. So if he ends up needing some, I mean, but he's got quite a few, so he should be okay again this year. That's uh, that's pretty much it for me, Cass. Did you have anything else? No, oh, that's it for me. Uh, I guess I just want to thank you for uh, for doing this with us, especially so late at night. Um, it's okay. Uh, it's awesome to be able to have these conversations uh, because, I mean, we were able to have them back at Stampede, but not to the same extent. Uh, so it's been really cool for me to sit here and uh, be able to be a part of these conversations and uh, hear your opinion. 
Yeah, well, that's awesome, man. Yep. <laughs> Whatever, don't, uh, yeah, I'm always up for this kind of stuff. Just scheduling just always doesn't seem to pan out. Yeah, that was that was my bad. I've been uh, been back to work. I cousin Mitch there, he's, he's working me on stocks, so <laughs> I haven't uh, I you know can't get into this out in the bush. But yeah, no, thanks for thanks for doing this. That was uh, that was great. I got you know I get comments all the time. I just got one the other day from a you know wagon driver, and he says, um, and I told you that I texted you that. Um, you know, people, when, when's Kurt going to come on? You know, where to go, Kurt? Because I think I mentioned it to a couple people or whatever. When are you getting that one done? So, and I think we had a good good conversation. Man, you were telling me stuff that, you know, I didn't know before or or, um, or didn't know about you or, or didn't know about the sports. So, um, that was, that was uh, it was enjoyable for me uh, even to do it. And, and that's why I like doing this. So, no, thanks good. again. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah, good to go. Appreciate it. No worries, guys. You guys take care. Perfect. He's here. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you again to Kurt for coming on the After the Ninth podcast. The Duke of Dewberry graced us, and it was quite an awesome interview. Uh, There was so much in there. He really did not hold back uh, whatsoever. It was very candid. And that's the nice thing about the podcast, Jason, is we can have those candid conversations, and we can have those conversations that I don't think people would hear otherwise. No, not, no, absolutely not. Like that, that's the beautiful thing about a podcast platform is that, you know, you can have those lengthy conversations and record them and then share them. Um, and, uh, you know, like even me and Kurt, like I, I don't even think me and him have talked. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure we haven't, you know, sat down and talked for that long. So, um, you know, even that, you know, that was good for me to, to you know, talk to him and and, uh, and I, I learned some stuff, too, that I didn't even know. So, um, yeah, it was definitely, uh, um, you know, a good conversation. There's quite a bit of, uh, you know, truck wagon lingo. Um, we were kind of glossing over quite a bit of stuff, so uh, you might have to rewind it and play it twice if you... Uh, if you're not very savvy with uh, with what we're talking about, but uh, but bear with us because uh, you know we covered quite a bit of stuff in that in that uh, conversation. And like always, if you have questions, uh, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we don't know the answers. There's plenty of people who do. Um, but what I liked the most was when he said we need to stop talking negatively about the sport. I think that was one of like the most profound things in the in in the conversation and i mean you ran with that for a bit there too Jason. yeah you know and and uh honestly so i don't know what we are a week after that we talked to kurt um and you know i've actually had some time to chew on that because i've never actually heard anybody um especially somebody is as significant as kurt um you know that that uh has as big a voice as he does um, and it has an important opinion because, you know, he's obviously a leader in the sport and, uh, and whatnot. So um, I've never heard anybody of his stature talk like that about the sport. And uh, it was kind of eye-opening for me, you know, like, like let's not get all doom and gloom, like grow up, be more positive. Uh, it sounds very simple, but, you know, it's very true. Um, for a long time, if you're not part of the Chuck White community, you know, obviously we've talked about, that the future doesn't look that bright, you know, like Western culture as a whole um, is dwindling. We've had, I don't know how many guys uh, drop out, you know, starting with my grandpa and Rick Fraser and, and, 
you know, there was talks to some other, you know, very key guys in the association were talking about retiring. And I mean key guys, guys that have been driving for 20-some years. You know, guys like Ray Crotto left, Wayne Bremner left. These are young guys that, that couldn't afford to do it. So there was a, there was a lot of kind of turmoil um, in the sport, and naturally that, that you know, kind of scared everyone off. And then what Kurt was saying is that, you know, um, that those guys are going to leave or stay, um, but regardless, the sport is going to continue on, you know. So we got to have a better attitude about it. And, uh, and you know, you can't be dragging your own um, pitfalls or successes um, into the picture when you're, when, you're, when you're speaking about the sport like that. So um, it kind of caught me by surprise. That's why, um, you know, for the most part, you know, myself and, and uh, others have been um, more negative uh, on the sport. But, uh, you know, I did appreciate um, Kurt's point of view. And, uh, you know, personally, I'm going to make a note of it to, to definitely talk better about uh, the sport and uh, the direction it's headed and be more positive in that nature. Because, uh, I, you know, after I made that point, I, I do think that that's something that uh, – you know, that, that could be a value to the association as a whole, especially a guy like me. If I'm looking to stay into the sport, you know, um, i got to start, uh, you know, maybe treating it like my baby or, you know, for me personally anyways. And, uh, and uh, you know, being more uh, upright about things. And another thing that he said that I thought was really interesting was he said, uh, was a, the social media conversation we had with him where he said, you know, when we're posting, it, we're thinking, oh, people are going to think this is stupid. Like, they don't really care about it. But it, it, it's remembering that not everybody has the same experience as we do. Like, that even just the picture of baby with his mane being cut off, um, that was so unique and something that nobody else would have seen. Yeah, he was right, too, about that, you know, and that's, that's something that uh, I'm familiar with for sure because, um, you know, my dad's one of the guys that, that has, a, has a big social media following that's a truck wagon driver. You know, he's, if you know uh, my dad's stuff, he's always posting these videos, um, you know, kind of updates after races and whatnot. He does one, I think, after every single race he has for multiple years. Um, and, uh, and, you know, even me with this podcast or, or the stuff that I try and do on my own or whatever, the videos, or, you know, I did that for a year and, and that type of stuff would get comments, um, you know, amongst ourselves, uh, within the wagon community, like, oh, why would you post that? Or that's stupid. Nobody cares or whatever. But what Kurt was, you know, bringing to everybody's attention was that, um, you know, we're, I'm not making my video or my podcast or, um, you know, my dad's not making his Facebook page to cater to the other 35 drivers. He's making it because there's, there's, uh, you know, more people out there um, that are interested in the sport. And uh, obviously social media is such a powerful tool um, that it's a, it's a great way to, and it's a free way um, essentially to, to grow and promote the sport. So, um, you know, he's definitely bang on about that one. And, uh, I, I do think there's 30, I, I seriously think there's 36 drivers on the WPCA that can post more on social media. I really do. I think it was, was awesome about that interview. There's so many points we could just dive into. Like if we really took like the time, we probably could have a five hour podcast, just like completely 
taking apart that interview and going through little piece by piece of what was said because there wasn't one conversation that didn't spark a new idea. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, there's definitely lots that, uh, that uh, you know, we covered and that we, we didn't really go too far into depth. And uh, it was kind of a fast-paced conversation. I felt like, um, you know, we I didn't really get to, uh, I didn't explain, you know, too much of, uh, of uh, you know, the lingo and uh, the, you know, explanations behind the phrases that we're using and, and uh, stuff, because I, I don't know if everybody's going to follow. Um, I haven't had a chance to re-listen to all of it yet, so um, I could be off on that. But, uh, yeah, bear with us. Uh, we covered quite a bit, and uh, I'd love to have her on again in the future, uh, maybe after he wins another title or something, it'll give us an excuse to call him. Now, we are releasing this right before Thanksgiving. If any of the other Ben Smillers listen to this, that's going to be an interesting Thanksgiving uh, table. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I asked him about David, and and, uh, and uh, I think you asked him about Chance and stuff, so uh, that was fun. But, but you know, that's, that's the way Kurt is. They're all brothers, too, so uh, I think they kind of give it to each other every now and then. But, uh, yeah, Kurt doesn't hold back. That's just like a type guy is, so... Uh, um, yeah, it was, it was good to get a, a candid conversation with us. Perfect. Well, heading into the next few weeks, uh, we're not going to promise when the next one's coming out. In the next month, that is the goal. Yeah, we we uh, we do have, um, I guess I should probably say, we have Chance Vegan coming on. I've talked to Chance. He said any time in October, he's free to record. So, uh, you know, Chance is kind of a... You know, he's been around now for, I don't know what it's been, 10 years or so. Um, but he's, he's still kind of, you know, one of the up-and-comers. He, uh, he's got a, you know, a boatload of talent. And uh, he's, he's had a couple of sniffs at the, you know, winning the Calgary Stampede and stuff like that. So, um, you know, he's, he's essentially, uh, you know, in the same, I'd say, in the same spectrum is Logan Gorse. You know, they're younger guys. Uh, obviously, Logan just got the big one this year. Uh, he was knocking on the doorstep um, for a while, but that's kind of where Chance is right now. You know, he's knocking on the doorstep. He's throwing some big runs. He's uh, making some pretty fast guys look silly, um, you know, and, and pretty regularly. So, um, we're going to have him on. He's quite knowledgeable. He's a good guy. So, uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll look forward to that in October. And uh, we have some other ones lined up uh, throughout the rest of the off season here. So I'm, there's quite a few I'm excited for. Uh, we also will be talking to a vet that you and your dad both use. So that's exciting as well. Uh, kind of learn more about topics that I guess we've talked about um, that we wanted uh, the listeners to hear about too. Yeah, we're going to have uh, uh, Mike Scott on with the Moore Veterinary Clinic in uh, Balzac there. Um, he's actually worked on, you know, uh, multiple um, horses of my dad. And uh, that's kind of where I got to know him. And then I got him to do some work for me um, in Century Downs. And then uh, that's kind of where I sprung the question. And, and uh, he's worked on a lot of chuck wagon horses before. Um, and this idea originally came up, you know, when everything was going on with Calgary and whatnot. And I, I kind of felt um, it would be handy to have, uh, you know, an actual vet on. And, and uh, not to mention a highly respected vet, uh, such as Mike. You know, that guy's done, uh, um, well, I guess we'll get into it when we talk. But he's done years and years and years of schooling, uh, double what, what uh, I believe normal, uh, you know, vets do. So, um, and, you know, he actually originally started uh, more veterinary clinics 
uh, or was one of the founders anyways. So uh, that guy's got a ton of experience. He's worked on a lot of chuck wagon horses. So um, it'd be really good to talk to him and, and kind of get a feel for, um, you know, the horse's health and, and what makes a horse tick and, uh, and uh, you know, some of the injuries we see in these older chuck wagon horses like uh, – you know, the common one that, that was uh, in Calgary this year was the cannonbone fracture. Well, the cannonbone is the strongest bone in the horse's body. So, um, you know, it's really not the first bone that should break if a horse is going to break the bone. So, you know, those are the types of questions that I'm interested in asking Mike, uh, you know, like why, are, why is the cannonbone the bone that breaks, you know, not something else? Um, what about, uh, you know, an older horse that's more prone for heart attack? So, you know, type of stuff like that. So it might be more you know, kind of a, a technical conversation. I don't know if we'll bore anybody, but, uh, yeah, I'm also looking forward to that one. And, and uh, like Cass said, we got a lot more guys uh, uh, coming on. There's, you know, even some guys that texted us, and then we're going to do some other things. We might have, you know, maybe three guys on one interview or, or three guys on one podcast or something like that. So, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, we got a lot booked uh, in the immediate future, that's for sure. It's just a matter of time of uh, getting it all up to you guys. And uh, I, we're uh, just going to kind of end things off here. Uh, we still uh, are looking forward to the Chuck Wagon Charity Calendar coming out. Uh, that's coming out on November 1st, I believe. Uh, and when we have more information on that, we will let you know uh, we just don't have as much info at this time. And uh, as per usual, if uh, you guys want more information, contact with us uh, or anything, uh, you can follow us on Instagram at After the Ninth, Facebook at After the Ninth, Twitter. Uh, our Twitter is kind of quiet right now. Uh, not a whole lot going on there, but I'll work on that. But that's at After the Ninth, too. And then uh, the, the the website is almost done, Jason. I, I did I- my job. I thought it was done. I thought you texted me was done. It's done. I just need your approval. Oh, oh I see. Yeah, of course, it's my fault. Okay, for those who don't know, I've asked Aiton for a headshot. That's one of the main things I'm waiting on, but I still don't have it. Yeah, that's that's my bad. I've uh, I've been busy working and whatnot, so I've uh, been doing those types of things. But uh, we'll get that website up, and we'll get the rest of the interview to you guys. That's for sure. And I. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to message us on any of the social media platforms or send us an email after the night's questions at gmail.com. I'm Cass Patterson with my co-host Jason Sutherland. Have a great day. Thank you, guys. But that's a day in the country.